For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Okay, uh, news breaking from yesterday and indeed overnight of two men suffering suspected titanium burns at, uh, been described actually as a mini explosion on one of the roofs uh, at Stryker, the medical device plant in East Cork. The front page headline in the Echo today, two hurt at Stryker, one man in a serious condition, apparently. Examiner's front page this morning, two burned in explosion at Cork factory. Uh, they're the two main papers covering this, uh, actually. You don't see much of it in the in the, uh, in the other nationals. Uh, I will come back to it a little later on this morning. There's a big HSA investigation underway now, but it's for the thoughts of those that have been injured uh, and the intervention at Cork University Hospital. Hopefully, uh, both will make a 100% recovery, but it's understood, like the echo this morning is saying, uh, that uh, one person suffered burns while working on equipment that was located on the roof of the Angrove site in Carrick Tool yesterday. Emergency services, fire services, um, all descended upon the plant at around about a quarter past one yesterday. A man who's aged in his early 40s sustained serious injuries during the incident, rushed to the CUH. Um, the spokesperson for Stryker said, we committed a safety and health work environment. We are committed to it. Uh, at all of our facilities and we're working closely with authorities. Uh, the examiner this morning, Own English and Anne Murphy pick up on the story and say the plant was shut down following the incident and uh, while a person was working on the plant uh, on the roof of the plant and then a second uh, was said to have been working up there as well. Um, it was Stryker actually confirmed that it was two people who had been injured on the incident um, and they managed it first with their own emergency response team. But this is not good news. Uh, and, and our thoughts are with the two people who have been injured that they make a 100% recovery. But this is not good news for Stryker because they have had issues in the past. There was a, a whistleblower uh, back in 2021 um, who made a protected disclosure to the HSC with regards to all sorts of different incidents in Stryker. And I can trace it back to at least May of 2019, issues going on in Stryker. I will come back to this in, in a few minutes' time. I'll say no more about it for now. Uh, it looks as if the monk, well, the photograph showed that the monk has cut his hair and shaved his beard off. Um, that also leads me to believe that he's still in the country, right? That he hasn't left or gone to Lanzarote or gone to Spain or the you know south of Spain or what have you. He's making the front page of many of the papers. Like this morning, the star carried the headline, Smooth Criminal. It's not funny, though. It's a very serious story. Uh, even serious for him because he's a wanted man now with a bounty on his head, apparently. I'll talk to Nicola Talent about that a little later on. But other health-related matters, of course, include the overcrowding in Cork hospitals. I know, it's just like Groundhog Day. Every single day of every single month of every single year, we talk of ongoing problems. And you know, Among other things, ambulances parked up waiting to offload patients and what have you. It is so dangerous now particularly within the CUH and the Mercy. Like the amount of people uh, yesterday morning, according to the Echo, who were without a bed at the CUH was 90. You know, I know I know it's gone higher than that, but sooner or later we will have averages in the hundreds and you can be sure of that. And the cost of living makes many of the newspapers today. The price of the pumps is falling to the lowest it's been in 18 months. They're saying on average about 159 a litre. Now, one of the more extraordinary things I've noticed actually with pump prices is that diesel now is cheaper than it's been a long time since that happened. But at the same time, don't worry about an increase. It's like a bus. Hang around. 
another one or two will come along together and the latest one coming on the track according to the independent would be an increase in bin charges by all accounts uh, Panda have already moved to increased waste fee prices and that means that others undoubtedly will follow and you know what you talk about housing stories there's one in the mail this morning of an, uh, an allegation against a landlord who lunged at a father up in the west of Ireland um, he had a circular saw and he racially abused the man after he was accusing him of not paying his rent. Now, I don't know anything about the accusation about not being, um, you know, not being up to date with the rent. But the story, uh, together with a clip of vid- video of an individual brandishing a dangerous heavy saw, makes this morning's uh, mail today. Uh, it was about two weeks ago when the family started experiencing threatening behaviour from the landlord. He would arrive at the property with locksmiths and started drilling into doors and stuff. So I don't know how common that is with regards to people uh, and the properties they're living in or trying to remain in, uh, particularly if you're paying your rent, although the landlord was alleging they didn't. Do you remember a couple of months ago, I was telling you about uh, the Canadians were over uh, headhunting doctors. I spoke to them at the time and they said, yeah, well, we are looking for doctors, right, but only Canadian doctors to go home. So that was the story there. But you see the adverts now for, you know, all over the place, 48 48 sheets, they're the huge big billboards looking for teachers to certainly go to. Let me just hone in on extra, as, 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 with, on Australia as an example, headhunting Irish teachers down there. It's an examiner story today. They compare some of the prices. So they're coming over trying to coax primary and secondary school teachers to Australia. And they'll be travelling to Cork and Dublin and Belfast and Limerick and Sligo in the coming days, having open days. Um, if I can find out where the open day in Cork is, it would be interesting to go along to it and see uh, what kind of interest there is from uh, Cork teachers. But the salaries, if and, and, and I'm open to correction on this, but my understanding is if you look at a typical salary for a teacher here who's got maybe uh, a decade's experience, maybe maybe a little longer, their average earnings, say with 10 or 11 work years of experience here, is 40 grand, just over 40 grand. Whereas the equivalent in Australia um, would be uh, 72,000. So it's 40 grand versus 72,000. They also give you uh, extra allowances and they're talking about uh, paying for your flights and, you know, setting you up and getting you sorted and paying for your visa sponsorship fees and all sorts of things like that. So that's a story that makes the uh, examiner. There's a new political party apparently about to start fighting, as in fighting in the next general election for seats. And, uh, and I'm calling it the Farmers Party because it's a party for rural Ireland. And independent TDs and other people who want to get involved in politics are being encouraged to join this new party to fight for the survival of rural Ireland. And that's a, a front page story making this morning's mail. Anybody following the story regarding Fox News and Dominion voting systems. Dominion voting uh, sued Fox News for defamation and libel. It was settled out of court yesterday because it's alleged that it said actually that Fox didn't want to wash its dirty linen in public. A lot of it has been washed already in public, but they settled. Like Rupert Murdoch had to seriously dig deep here. Uh, Just under $788 million was the out-of-court settlement. There's another one coming against Fox, actually, an even bigger one coming against Fox uh, later in the summer. But it was settled at the 11th hour. And it goes to show, actually, as to, you know, what media should you trust, particularly in a polarised country like America? And the comparison would be, do you watch CNN Or do you watch Fox? If you watch CNN, you're said to be liberal. If you watch Fox, you're said to be... um I'm going to be I'm going to be kind because an awful lot of people who would be deemed to be 
right in their thinking, as in on the right-hand side, and some use the term far-right. Conservative is a better word, I think. And if you're far-right, you're more likely to be just ultra-conservative. So that's the difference there. But I don't think it's going to affect Fox News really with regards to those that watch Fox News. Fox News aren't carrying the story that they had to give Dominion uh, nearly the bones of 788 million. Uh, so it's not going to really change. And if you watch Fox, of course, you're going to live in the Fox News world. I watch a lot of Fox, but I watch it through a different prism now, having known a lot of the things that they're actually saying have been proven to be to be lies. I see the Prince Charles, the, uh, Prince, here I am, back in the dark ages, King Charles III is coming to Ireland. You know, these visits are costing us an absolute fortune. Uh, Biden just leaves and Charlie Boy decides he's coming over. She's coming over in early June and uh, it's going to cost us a packet. It's going to cost us a fortune because all of the Gardaí have been told uh, in order to for Charles' arrival, um, they'll have to work overtime to cover the trip and don't even think about holidays in June. Uh, as to where he's going to go, I have no idea in the wide earthly world. Um, he apparently has connections in different parts of the country. Uh, I don't know whether he'll be following in the footsteps of his mam, who came to Cork and loved Cork and went into the English market. He's been here before, though, so whether he'll come back again, I do not know. And then he'll exit us and somebody else will come along. Speaking of exodus, do you see that story? I'd love to talk to people who went to the Gwailtuk back in the day. Anybody go to Irish college? Anybody stay with the Banatee? Because apparently Banatees are exiting uh, from the Gwailtuk and it's putting an awful lot of Irish colleges and indeed, you know, the, the whole summer experience for lots of kids at risk and in jeopardy. Now, apparently the main reason for this, whether it's in uh, West Cork or, or Kerry or down around Cape Clear and places like that, or Ballingiri and the Guelta, the main reason they're saying is that it, it was noticed that when we came out of COVID, many Banatees decided to stop taking students for one reason or another. That's the only explanation that I can find. But an exodus of the Banatee means that sooner... I guess you'd stay in dormitories more, but apparently... And the dormitories, apparently, I'm told... I never went to Irish college, but I'm told the dormitories were an awful lot more fun than the Banatee. Because the Banatee had serious rules. You had to be in by such and such a time. There was no messing, no shenanigans, no bringing people back. (laughs) But it was all part of the experience, I suppose. There's some lighter stories making the papers today. Good news for you. If you're a fan of Hamilton and have seen the movie but haven't seen the show and haven't managed to catch it on Broadway or indeed in the West End, it's coming to Ireland for a nine-week run. Um, and apparently it'll be back to it'll be back into September into November apparently at the board gosh I mentioned that for what it's worth because it's a great production and well worth seeing and the papers also talk a lot about food there's one story in the Echo this morning talks about offbeat donuts and I give offbeat donuts away on the air every Monday morning on this here program but they've come out now and told us what are the most favourite donuts across the country and we're more interested in Cork than anything else and apparently in Cork it's emerged that the eaters of the offbeat donut are in love with the hazelnut and they go for the Kinder Bueno and Nutella flavours more than anyone at all. They love the Bueno Bueno, the Happy Hippo and the Nutella because they all have chocolate and hazelnut and that's what people love. Not me. Big fan of donuts, particularly the old-fashioned torpedo one that's got the jam and cream and sugar and nothing else. And I see the papers this morning in the UK are talking about reversing diabetes. You can reverse all sorts of illnesses based on what you eat or what you stop eating. And they're talking this morning in the Times of a radical soup and shake diet that can permanently reverse 
type 2 diabetes. Um, they put patients on an 800 calorie a day diet for a period of three months. They kept the weight off and they were free from the symptoms that they had five years later and no longer needed medication for either type 2 diabetes or early onset type 2 diabetes. It's just incredible how your health staving off preventing sickness but also reversing sickness can be sorted out by the food that you eat, particularly the things you rule out. Primarily, of course, any processed foods, um, except in treats, you know, from time to time. Sugar and unfortunately flour. And we all love flour in so many different ways here. And they're saying also in the UK Times that one way to stop no-shows where people book restaurants and don't bother turning up is imposing a deposit on every booking. How would that fly here, I wonder, where on every single booking that you would make, you would have to pay a deposit. Uh, One chef is saying that he has a £50 a head advance deposit um, and he never, ever gets a single cancellation and he never, ever gets a single no-show. So food for thought on that one. One or two other things to reminisce about a little later on this morning is designer pyjamas, which I will come back to, and also the return of the cassette cape, cape, the cassette tape even. Um, They are selling more now than they've sold in the last 20 years in the last year alone because they were hugely popular back in the 80s. But apparently they're back now. Vinyl is back and cassette is back and the younger generation absolutely love cassettes. And you know what's also gone through the roof in sales? Sony Walkmans. I didn't even know they still made Sony Walkmans. They made millions and millions of them in the 80s, but they're back again with a vengeance. Don't know why. Maybe just people love nostalgia, but there you have it nonetheless. Winner of two golds at the Imro Radio Awards 2022. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. And so to the uh, news breaking uh, overnight with regards to Stryker. One, two, two people injured, one seriously in hospital. It was a fire on the roof, apparently. And I mentioned that it seems to have been a titanium burn, uh, suspected titanium burns. And I suppose, I guess the level of heat from titanium is on a different level entirely. They call it a mini explosion while on the roof. So I've told you as much as we know and indeed as much as uh, the newspapers know this morning uh, but I want to get the thoughts of uh, Pat Buckley TD for Sinn Féin down in, down in East Cork because we actually spoke before on issues regarding uh, Stryker and uh, related matters regarding their health and safety record. He joins me over the phone. Pat, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thanks for having me. Not at all. Firstly, is there anything you can add with regards to the explosion? What happened, why it happened and how the two men are? Unfortunately, Neil, no. It seems to be um, very quiet on that front at the moment. And I mean, I suppose we have to be conscious too that those people have families as well. Um, It's just a bit strange that, you know, there's nothing really coming out of the incident as such yet. Now I do understand there's an investigation going on and I welcome that, but I think it's very early days yet. So the plant was shut down following it. It remains shut down? From what I know, yes, the HSA came in yesterday and closed it. Okay. okay. The alarm was raised about lunchtime yesterday. Um, I think their own emergency crews started the intervention because they called a medical emergency. Then Middleton Fire Brigade was asked to help with the on-site medical team. Uh, and then, of course, we had the fire service arrive on top of everything else. And two individuals, I guess everybody was evacuated from the plant at that stage. Two individuals taken to hospital, one with serious injuries. That's as much as we know, yeah? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. I mean, and the worrying thing about titanium is uh, I, I have spoken probably going back to possibly 2021, 22 with Cork County Fire Service and they don't even have the capabilities to put out a titanium fire. So that's worrying. And it, that's, I mean, that's a major, you know, worry in itself. Does the plant have the capability of putting out a titanium that's fire? That we don't even know, Neil. Is it foam or water or some other kind of substance? No, no I don't think it's water or anything like this because, I mean, the titanium reacts with the air. That's why you have argon gas to keep the oxygen out of the air, I think. Okay. And I think the two main components on that yeah. one. I, I, I heard from uh, somebody who, who works at Stryker, and I won't go into too much detail, but that the second person involved in it managed to get some of his clothes off um, and that possibly mitigated the damage and the burns to him. So at least that was something. Can we, and I wish I wish them a 100% recovery, as I'm sure you do as well. But Absolutely. can we look a little bit at Stryker's record? Can you just bear with me for a while? Because this is the, you're well aware of the, the whistleblower Absolutely. statement back in the day. 2019, fire alarms failed to activate after smoke from a fire. Um, in the same month, um, the plant evacuated after gas leaked from a solvent tank and staff were violently sick in the clean room. Uh, Gardaí firefighters ambulances are called. Uh, July of that same year, 2019, workers raised health and safety concerns when a machine at the Tullagreen plant went on fire. Um, later that month, July 2019, industrial hoover exploded, causing a spill of nitric acid. Uh, workers were not advised of the exposure of the material. A month later, in August, four people violently sick in a clean room. September of the same year, another fire in Tullagreen. Fire alarm didn't sound automatically. Uh, October of the same year, worker at the site removed from the clean room uh, after a nosebleed and headaches. Next month, another worker again with nosebleeds and headaches. Um, the same year, uh, SIP2 launches a petition calling on Stryker to adhere to health and safety laws. January 2020, fire breaks out a machine at the Springfield, Spring Hill site. Um, verbal order to evacuate the site because no fire alarm sounds. Uh, January of the same year, fire at a machine in Tullagrena. Um, August of that year, site evacuated for another fire in a wet scrubber. Um, fire to be tackled locally using fire extinguishers before five units of the firefighters were called. This is alarming to say the least, don't you think? Absolutely, Neil. I mean, when I heard that news yesterday, my stomach was sick to the core because I said these stuff have been flagged. And I mean, I, I did receive even nasty phone calls at the time with that uh, protected disclosure came out because, I mean, I had been working previous to that on the protected disclosure law for the very fact that um, I knew that European, the European Union had been changing it and trying to strengthen it and I had worked on it here in the house for almost 18 months. But do you know if a striker, for want of a better term, pulled their socks up? From my experience, I would say no. Absolutely no. No, they say in a statement this morning they're committed to a health and safe, a healthy and safe work environment at the facilities. Um, but if I can go back to December 2021 when I got a response from the then um, tarnished Minister for Enterprise Trade and Employment to say that the HSA were seeking or the HSA were seeking assurances that the matters had been dealt with at that very time in 2021, I had over 60 complaints regarding health and safety. So that's frustrating for me. I am actually duty bound in my job, when a protected disclosure comes to me, did I go to the relevant departments with it to try and get it sorted? It hasn't sorted. We've seen that. You can hear my voice. 
I know some people have come to me and said you're empty jobs and they do a lot of jobs. They're not seeing the they, point. They do have a lot of employees. They've got 4,100 employees across six Cork-based sites. Yeah. But that's but not good enough to say that they're big... Em- yeah. No, I mean, like the, the, the big game changer here was when with the new uh, amended uh, protected disclosure law. We we flipped the book. And we we reversed the proof of burden, so the, that the actual whistleblower would be kind of more protected. But unfortunately, it's still not strong enough. There's supposed to be uh, a department opened up within one of the ombudsman's uh, offices to deal with protected disclosures. Okay, but it, it lists very easy on this. Okay. Whistleblower said at the time there's a perception of production before everything else. But we are talking about gas leaks, argon leaks, solvents escaping, quoting the examiner this morning, hospitalizations, plant evacuations, broken fire alarms, faulty equipment, equipment going on fire, machines going on fire. Come on. But I mean, and and it comes in in, in under the protected disclosure, what's counts as wrongdoing? Uh, Failure to comply with legal obligations, i.e. the health and safety, endangering the health and safety of individuals, damaging the environment. I mean, there's a large population down there. I mean, like, you know me of old, Neil, even personally, right? And you know me, I'm straight talking. None of this is done for power or glory or anything. I reached out to that company a long, long time ago to get these issues resolved. Because they rejected the whistleblower's allegations at the time. they did. They said yes, that they, they absolutely they reject, reject any health. such allegations and they say it operates the highest level of safety and health procedures. That's what they said. Yeah. No, no, I mean, the assurances I said that we've got from the HSA were not good enough. I did contact uh, Ms. McGuinness on that issue with the HSA and told them it wasn't good enough. I mean, I, I remember going back and one of the whistleblowers saying to me that the standards were, that the standards were on the floor. No, that's not my words. That's one of the whistle. You know, it, it's, it really grieves me that we're actually talking about this one. Like, let's be honest, accidents and things do happen. But you even read out enough from there, and that's not all of them that occurred over the last number of years. No, that's just a window from 2019 yes. to 2020. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and, I, and I mean, what I'm looking for here, and I have it in for a topic tomorrow even here in Dublin, hopefully to discuss it with the relevant minister again. But somebody is not doing the job. And I would be looking, you know, for a proper investigation into this because I said this is about people's lives, people's safety. And okay. I can't understand that they spend more time trying to dismiss allegations, trying to cover up stuff. You read out about the alarms and stuff. I'm well, well I'm, I'm not so sure that anything was covered up. They just, what they are saying is I that have, they I absolutely the reject. I have the photographic evidence of it, so that's enough. Of what? And that's right. The fire alarm's been covered up, taped over. That's yeah, a very, that's very job. serious allegation to make. You, and you're sure you can trace that to a striker plant? Yes, I have the photographs and all. I mean, when you get a protected disclosure, you get all the information that you need. And you have to go, why do you think I raise my concerns with it so often? Well, why would somebody why tape over us? You're talking about the, the little glass box, is it? Yes, that's the one. Or the sensors, which? No, the glass box is the ones they actually break the glass and push. Why would somebody do that? Well, that's why I want the HSA. If they were doing their job, they should be asking those questions. Okay, so what should happen now? What, what should happen now? I believe the plant, I I'm told, source from, the, from within the company is texting me now saying that the site is operating today. Full site is open. Um, at least one texter, there's actually more than one said, just to let me know that that plant is open for business and it's in production again. What should happen next? 
I think the the actual HSA and the whole lot, the actual plant and the HSA should be investigated and say why this has still been, there's been a litany, an absolute litany of what I would call mismanagement or undermanagement. And as I said, it's not easy for whistleblowers, Neil, to come out because we've, we've known in this country previous before, before they amended the whistleblowing uh, legislation. Okay that anybody that actually came out and told the truth got absolutely battered. Okay, but... Character uh, assassination, you name it, for telling the truth and trying to do something right. Yeah. And I, and I will get a backlash from this talking to you, but I'm sorry. I knew... What's the I backlash? That, that it could be a risk to f- substantial thousands of jobs? Yeah. Yeah, but as I said, I, I, I'm duty bound by law to report this if it's a protected disclosure. Yeah, yeah. And when you know that lives depend on it, I can't be sitting back and uh, every time you hear of an accident, you go, well, is somebody dead? Why didn't I tell the truth? Why didn't I do my job? I mean, this has been going on for a long, long time. You mentioned even the Cork City Council motion. I mean, that should spark enough to, with the unions that time to engage on health and safety. Mm. Mm. You know, and, there, and there's a lot more there, but I, obviously I can't okay. say it because... Uh, okay. but. Okay. It, it, it is very serious it is very very worrying and as I said I mean it's not a one off situation here People's, people and families are suffering and I do understand where people come from it's their jobs and livelihood as well but I do think that you know we have a safe, health and safety standard in this country and I think one rule for everybody and everybody should adhere to it okay. Okay. that means so, everybody that's actually enforcing that law okay. well yeah, so, but the HSA would be the people to invest and infor- uh, to investigate and to enforce yeah yeah but unfortunately back in 2022 they said to me there's nothing here to see despite the whistleblowers revelations absolutely okay. yes and, okay. I sent, and I I actually have as I said the tournament reference to this I have discussions um uh, with stuff here that was actually sent to the HSA I can say I'm telling you that haven't interfered with section 25 of the Health and Safety and Welfare Act of 2005 and I'm absolutely clear these are words of some of the whistleblowers it's crazy and did you and send it, photographic evidence of yes. um, yeah everything so why would I be withholding it I mean what I have is what I have okay of covered fire of covered fire alarms and everything yeah yeah okay yeah okay I mean, there's no point. Why would, why would I fabricate anything in, as I said, you know me about? So what happens now? What happens now? Well, I go back to the HSA now, and I ask them, and the minister, well, I'm waiting to see. I won't have notification if I get that update. If not, I'll write to the minister's department and ask for them on the top of this incident to go back and revisit that and have a full root and branch review. Which is what the HSA will HSA. surely do, yeah? But it's the HSA. I want their review the HSA as well. Okay, all right. Okay. Because if these, these things should have been and could have been avoided if the HSA were upfront and being honest. As we well, don't know how this fire happened. started or what occurred to start yeah, the I've fire. I've heard rumours, but if, if it's rumours, uh, obviously the equipment, some of the equipment that was being used would never have been used in that situation okay. if there was a proper health and safety audit. Okay, okay. Been, been there, done that. Okay. Okay, okay, that's uh, that's as much as we know at this point in time. We'll leave it there for now. But thank you for taking the call, Pat Buckley, Sinn Féin TD uh, for East Cork. And I just say, uh, with regards to a titanium fire, that's a completely different level of a fire, to be honest with you, because they are saying that the flame temperature of titanium is about 2,930 
degrees um, and they say that the best and only recommended way to extinguish a titanium fire is to use dry powder fire extinguisher. Uh, this works by smothering the fire by all accounts and cutting off the oxygen. Our thoughts are with the uh, two individuals who are on that roof uh, and injured. Uh, you can text 86 There's a family statement on the seriously injured man in the striker incident and I will uh, have a look on that and read it after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. While talking about the very serious incident in striker yesterday lunchtime, just a few minutes ago, I received by email a family statement, um, uh, a statement issued on behalf of the family of one of the individuals who's been seriously injured and it reads, uh, Morning Neil, I hope this finds you well. I'm writing with a heavy heart as our family received the worst news yesterday afternoon in connection with the accident at the striker plant at lunchtime. A close family member was the chap who was very seriously injured during the incident and he has sustained massive burns. Though I cannot divulge any specific personal information, I would like to ask the good people of Cork and beyond for their heartfelt prayers. He is a kind, mild-mannered family man 41 years old with a loving wife, a baby, a young child and a stepson who are his world. He was living the perfect life until one o'clock yesterday. His devoted parents, wife and siblings are devastated and keeping vigil at the hospital. He was in surgery until late last night and is on life support. Our extended family are heartbroken and feel helpless at this shocking turn of events. I just wanted to put the human side of the story out there so that your listeners might keep him in their thoughts and prayers that he will pull through as, as all of us, um, he, is, he, has our, we, he has our hope and our prayer. Uh, please don't release my details, although you have them. Sincere apologies, I'm not available to come on air. With sincere thanks and kindest regards, a family spokesman. Uh, and that uh, email statement was issued only about six, seven minutes ago from a close mem- family member, as they say, of the chap who was seriously injured and is now on life support. I think it's just so, so sad. And and God knows how the family must feel. They must feel so so helpless, just waiting and hoping for the best. Because I, I feel that, you know, reading out a statement like that, absolutely heartfelt um, um, hopelessness in the sense there's nothing you can do except hope and I suppose pray or light a candle uh, surgery last night uh, and on a life support so our thoughts are with him uh, this 41 year old family man with a loving wife baby young child stepson who are his world that he will be to return to them in full health at some stage in the future um, isn't amazing isn't, isn't life really really uh, you know awfully fragile when you think of it you know you get a statement like that saying, living the perfect life until one o'clock in the day and then everything changes. Um, and, uh, you know, before you know it, uh, you're looking at a completely different future. Anyway, thank you. Our thoughts are, are with you and the family. Uh, and indeed, I know an awful lot of people listening to this program will issue a, a quiet prayer uh, or a kind thought or, like many people do, light a little candle. Incidentally, you don't need to go into a church to light a candle anymore. You can light a candle at home. Um, but it's just uh, it's just a way of showing support. So thank you for that. I will come back to the story if there are any updates throughout the course of the morning. Lines are open. You can text 0868104106, particularly if you're a striker employee. I will never, ever, ever, ever share information 
that people give me with regards to who they are, where they are. I will never give any information provided to me to a third party. So you never have to worry about that. But if you do have issues that you wish to discuss regarding a striker or indeed safety in the workplace, there may be more than this. You can always text 0868 104 106. Uh, pick up the phone on 0818104106. You can email confidentially, Neil, at redfm.ie. So back on this later on this morning. Um, I want to chat with Nicola Talent, the investigations uh, editor and journalist with the Sunday World. She has now rocked up 273 episodes of her own Crime World podcast, and she is coming to Cork to actually bring the show on the road. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a few minutes' time. But she joins me by phone. Nicola, good morning. Good morning. It has been a long time since uh, since we met. So, how have you been? Good. Oh my God! What a week! What a week! No, what a we decade! Have. What what a life! You just seem to go from strength to strength. Do you mind? Do you mind if I just jump in? Because I see that the monk has had a haircut and has the beard shaved. Does that mean that he's still in Ireland? Oh yeah, he's in Dublin. He's but in all Dublin. the talk was that he was going to get the first plane he could to the south of Spain. Look, this always happens, you see. You know, everybody is trying to second-guess what he will do. Um, I don't imagine, and I'm, I have no inside information on this, I'm just informed speculation, he will hang around for very long. I imagine the man is going seeing some of his family. He's in around the north inner city where I work, and he probably has a little bit of business to do with his legal team. There was talk at the end of the case the other day, very dramatically, when he was released that he needed to get some of his things from the Gardaí. Do they have his passport? Possibly. You know what I mean? So there's probably a little bit of administrative stuff to do. Yeah. Uh, but I don't see him hanging around Dublin at all. He, I mean, he was gone out of here anyway for a long time. Yeah, but they, they say the Kinnahan's have a million euro on his head or something. Is that true? It is. He uh, has lived like that since February 2016, as have other members of his his family and the wider Hutch organised crime group, some have fallen. As you know, 18 people have died in the feud, um, a lot of innocent people, a lot of uh, what you could describe as easy targets, including his brother, his two best friends have been murdered, two of his nephews. Um, and, you know, he has survived attempts on his life. His brother, Patsy, has survived a number of attempts on his life and their close associate, Michael Gately, has also survived a number of times. These threats will never go away. They will never abate. They will be lived. They will live with them forevermore. Um, but people live with threats, you know. People actually live and survive and have to obviously live in a different way than you or I might. But they they can do it. And, they, you know, he's come this far, to be honest with you. You know, it's seven years now. Um He's come this far, so I don't think he's going to do anything stupid or walk himself into any situations of handing himself up to the Kinnahans on a platter. Yeah, I often wonder why people want to live lives like this and those that are involved in gangsterism, you know, because uh, there can be no kind of security or safety or peace in it. Always looking over your shoulder, you know, going from A to B, never being able to rest your head in the pillow. For what, like? It's, it, they don't even seem to have flamboyant lifestyles, an awful lot of them. They seem like miserable lives, don't you think? Yeah, I think some of them, I think the, the game itself, as they call it, is the drug, and they can't give it up. It's that thrill they get from getting one over on the authorities, from living as they do. For some of them, it's power. and For some of them, it's money. And for some of them, they think they've got out and they're drawn back in and that's exactly what happened to the monk 
he was in retirement in Lanzarote and it was uh, out of his control really how he was drawn back into it. I think it was his uh, the activities of his nephew Gary who was murdered in Spain and who ultimately fell out with Daniel Kinahan that uh, kick-started it all. Um, so it's been fascinating decades, really, hasn't it? Yeah, been, yeah, yeah. You know, you you, you talk about you, yeah, yeah, Gilligan's and Martin Cal and the Monk and mm. the Penguin and the tabloids glorify them, don't they, Nicola? Though and and television seems to you know we have these these crime dramas based on them. Like, wh- why why is that? They're almost made into kind of like Jesse James characters that people love to hear about. I don't think that they're glorified. I just think it's part of life. And I just think that uh, the sensibilities of the middle classes don't really like that, you know. And those kind of the idea that we would suggest we're glorifying it. We're living cheek by jowl with organised crime in this country. Europe is living with a tsunami of cocaine being flooding into it with a willing public who are taking it. I see that the seizure down in your own in Rigatskiddy there. That's right. Uh, yeah. 55 kilos of cocaine, the drop in the ocean of yeah. what's coming into Europe. The European cocaine market is worth about 30 billion. The Kinahans and their partners in the European super cartel took a chunk of about a third of that. And they were street dealers in Dublin 20 years ago. And that's the what has happened. And you can't just ignore that and go, oh, maybe we shouldn't be talking about it. Maybe we shouldn't be, you know watching it on television. We need all sorts of ways of understanding situations, politics, etc. Sometimes that's to engage with it. We need drama mm. on, on TV. Sometimes we need, you know, an autobiography. Sometimes we need a character we can relate to. You know, and we can, we can understand the story through that character, through that person, that individual, through the feud, whatever it is. But we need to engage with it mm. because just by saying that, you know, we're glorifying it, it's not going away. Mm. It's just getting worse all the time. And um, I think people who live in areas where they're not affected by it, you know, are, are quite happy to go out at the weekend, put their hand in their pocket, hand 100 quid out for a bag of Coke, and it goes straight up into the pockets of the likes of the Kinahans. And the misery from them comes back right into the communities, right onto the streets where you'll see you know, drug drug abusers, drug users, drug addicts, families destroyed by it, people shot dead. You know, we're we're bizarre human beings, aren't we? We just yeah. we stand um, back and we go, we don't like this, but we're funding it. And then we hear of so many, uh, well, certainly in Cork, an awful lot more knife crime where people are being, and I hate saying this word at this hour of the morning, but slashed in the face. I'm told a lot mm-hmm. of the time that, and, and it's and it's covered in the court reports, and it was another one in Ballincollig at the weekend, and they're saying a lot of this is to do with drug debt. People get into drug debt and can't pay, and families then get harassed, right? Of course it would, and that would really need to be seriously watched with knife crime. Um, you know, Glasgow saw a massive problem with knife crime, and they really, I mean, they became the European... Uh, you know, capital of violent crime very quickly. And it was all to do with drug deaths and young people using knives, probably not being able to get their hands so quickly on guns or whatever. Um, and it's becoming almost cultural, the mm. use of knives. Mm. So it's, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's all part of it. And, and you know, we do, we do have to talk about it. We have to try and, as much as possible, you know, there's no solution to any of this. There's no question that this so-called war on drugs is working. It's not. 
but we have to keep, you know, going away at it. Because imagine if we didn't fight it at all, where we'd be in society. But the big we, debate now is, le- is, is, is is either to legislate or not, right? And and even the People's Assembly is, is talking about that. Um, would you see that I, happening I in your lifetime? I think maybe we might decriminalise cannabis or something. I mean, there's no... It isn't a solution either to just make it all legal. I mean, the drug dealers, the organised crime ain't going away. You know, they're, they're not going to pull out of... I mean, for example, Spanish at the moment have brought in some kind of peculiar laws that if you're in a club, you can buy or grow your own cannabis. You know, one of these situations. So, of course, the, the drug dealers are in the business for years, by the way, so legitimate business people don't really get into it too quickly or easily or smoothly mm. but they are immediately looking on that and they have been buying up massive big swathes of land in Spain um, thinkers up in the north of Spain which have great conditions for growing cannabis uh, and they're going to use these loopholes and the laws to try and move in on that and the legalisation like you know organised crime and there's two areas of crime you have that street stuff which is the the lowest of the low. The and getting younger and younger, the users and the dealers and the runners and things. And the, but, but, but the other side of it is that, because you were saying in a recent interview that I watched last night, that these, the bigger gangs are very much run like a business. Oh, they are. I and mean, that's what I was going to say to you. I mean, these are an actual conglomerate that are, you know, out there. They will have a marketing wing. They will have, you know, everybody has a job and a role and a wage structure. There's a wage structure. You get Christmas bonuses. I mean, the Kinahans in particular have operated, you know, in cell structures. And that means that they might have a cell in Cork. They might have a cell in Dublin. They're both doing the same job, but neither of them know of the existence of the other. And it means that there's a takedown of one cell. There, it lowers the risk of them being able to, anybody to be able to rat or whatever on another cell. And that's how they've worked. It's clever, you know. And, um, yeah, there's a wage structure. The, the prisoners get a wage. Everybody gets a wage. Everyone has to be kept The happy. prisoners Run get like a wage. What do you mean by that? If you're doing time as part of the gang, you're looked after. That's like mafia-style stuff. Well, it is, of course, and, and it makes sense. I mean, if you're sitting at the top of that business, you don't want them to be getting unhappy and disgruntled, do you? They're already doing time for something they've done for you. You certainly don't want them starting to talk. So would they be looked after and their families while in jail would be looked after, right? Most certainly. There's, there is a structure for that, yeah. Yeah, and there's, um, again, there's, I mean, it is bizarre to say it, but there's Christmas bonuses and summer bonuses and stuff like that. Um, and that happens. I mean, that does sound mad. I know I sound mad when I say things like this, but No, it's it doesn't true. sound mad if it's true. Um, yeah. But it, it makes true. sense. You, you want to keep your people happy on the inside or the outside because you want business to continue as normal, don't you? So therefore, but they, but they do a lot more than, we talk about cocaine or crack cocaine or, or heroin, but... There are also many now involved in human trafficking, aren't they? Slave labour, uh, sex labour, things like that. Even, even hacking has become a big problem. So, Listen, there was a guy, in, an Irish guy in the UK called Thomas Marr, and he was one of the first guys to get done on that EncroChat hack, which was when the authorities got in on these encrypted phones and sort of live hacked them for a period of time, and they loads of people arrested and everything. He was one of the first convicted. He pleaded guilty before the court. He was a logistics guy. He was a transporter, a trucker. Uh, very wealthy guy. And he's currently subject to a proceeds of crime case. He's from the Midlands here in Ireland. But he was a transporter for the gang. And he was transporting, involved in, and surrounded in everything from 
human beings to guns to drugs. So they don't see the commodities any different. A human being is, if the human being is a commodity and a value, they are simply just a product like, you know, a bale of Coke. Yeah. And that's the way that world works. Yeah, yeah. When you talk about things working, though, does prison work? I mean, look, prison can work for some people. You have two fabulous examples of that yourselves with the two Naris. True, I mean, they and, and, and they're, they're incredible, they are, but they say that, that the reoffending rate when people come out of prison is as high as 90%. I mean, yeah, I think they are, they're, they're fabulous examples of how it can work. I mean, they've obviously worked themselves. I don't think prison essentially worked on them. They worked on themselves at the right time. They've told their story, etc. But there is hope, maybe, for everybody. Um, but prison largely when when we've lost the child to the teenager to become a young adult who is already standing in court having committed gun crime or something, they're going in hardened without probably a support structure outside the prison other than within the gang they're involved in. And they go in there and it's like going to college. And it's, you know, it's an opportunity to network, to meet other people, to make friends, to make foes, to get work, um, and to be taught things. Mm. And unfortunately, that's the nature of, of it. You know, the, the ideal world, we would get to these people when they're young mm. and before they've gone into the prison system. And, you know, I think, you know, for community workers who do fantastic jobs out there, and they're just... You know, if they were funded better and, and given more resources, they must be exasperated. We, we'd be in a better place because you really need to guide any young person through the years of, a, you know, 14 to about 20. And they hit about 20, 18, 19, 20. Sometimes if you've guided them through the difficult part, they get a bit of sense. They'll get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. They might get a bit of a job. They might aspire to buy a car. And things start changing in life at that stage. That's the crossroads, yeah. That's the left or right, if you like. Which which it direction? And, yeah. and if you can get them there with a bit of support, you know, get them get them there with a bit of support, but it's not all coming from gangs and, you know, criminality. That if we had more support systems, you know, healthcare, education uh, and social services in place, uh, we'd be in a much better place. Okay, okay. Listen, um, I had hoped to tar- start this chat a little bit earlier this morning, but matters in Stryker took over for a little while. There's just one or two other issues that I wanted to pick up on and some questions that people have that have asked me to put to you, particularly with regards to your own safety or whether you've ever been threatened or anything. But, but I hope we can just wrap this up just after 10. Are, are you available then maybe for five or six minutes, I wonder? I actually have to go on a call at 10. Um to do an interview because it's just as I said to you it was crazy busy this week Okay but just just very quickly then to answer at least so, one of those questions with regards to your own safety have I you ever been threatened? i you after that if you wanted. Well we do that because I don't want to rush it and I'd love to finish and I really do thank you for facilitating this we'll, we'll chat as soon as you're finished with the with the other IV okay about five or ten minutes so come back on to you you are the greatest thank you Nicola Tallett right. we'll chat then I also want to give away some tickets for her show because she is coming to Cork and brings Omerta uh, her, her show her crime world show based I suppose really on her work and her career down through the years to Cypress Avenue in May on the 18th of May and I have tickets for that we're back after ten 
Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Okay, isn't very sad getting that um, family statement on behalf of the poor man who's been injured. Uh, just if you missed it earlier on this morning, a family member got in touch to say that he was very seriously injured. The man involved uh, has sustained massive burns, um, was brought to hospital, obviously um, uh, is in, uh, was operated on, had extensive surgery until late last night and is now on life support. Quite an amount of texts, actually, from people either commenting or working within uh, Stryker. Here's a selection of those texts. I'm in Stryker nearly five years now, and I worked in both plants. Never have I ever seen uh, a fire alarm taped up in any of the buildings. Uh, Pat Buckley, the TD, says he has photographs of it. A new fire alarm system was installed last year and it took over a month to install. Some are suggesting that maybe the emergency teams are not experienced enough and that there should be more training put in place for those kind of positions. Another texter says, I don't want to go on air, but I worked in Stryker Instruments from 98 to 2002. It looks like nothing has changed or improved there. Of course, our thoughts really are the two individuals who have been injured, one quite seriously. Another texter says, Stryker is a fantastic company to work for. The union is blowing it all out of proportion, Neil. These are people complaining about everything. They complain about even a biro. They complain about goodie bags given out on St. Patrick's Day. Stryker is a very safe workplace. This is just all being driven by unions who are struggling to get numbers and their egos are not being played to. I've worked for Stryker for three years and we're all well looked after. I've never heard so much complaining from employees inside though. Fires happen all of the time in different workplaces. Not a serious issue. Um, that's all very well but I, I read out a list there of whistleblower issues over a three year period at, at Stryker, particularly the East Cork Stryker and I would be alarmed at the amount of them. I worked in Stryker for eight years. I've never had any concerns about my safety while in work. The whistleblower you talk about, you may want to drill into the motivation behind whistleblowers. It may not be as straightforward as you think. And one or two more. I work for Stryker Model Farm Road. Thankfully, I don't work with some of the stuff they do in Carry Tool because the equipment I use is the same stuff they had when they took over Boston Scientific 10 plus years ago. It barely works. It causes a lot of delays. All Stryker cares about is output. Quality or safety should be the priority. It's all about getting more and more stuff out the door. We worked through the whole of covid And for me, many guidelines were ignored. I've never had issues with mental health until I started working here. If it wasn't for the cost of living, I'd be long gone. But I'm stuck here for my children's sake. Obviously, I can't come on here because I am a current employee. One final one for now. Prayers gone up and candles lighting for both people who were injured in that full recovery, as Neil suggested. May God help their families. I hope to God uh, the person on life support will come through this and that both of them will make good recoveries. It is just heartbreaking. So that's the selection of texts here regarding Striker. There's more. I've even been getting emails from people this morning who are working there. I will drill into them throughout the course of the morning. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. I'll chat again just to finish up my conversation in a few minutes with uh, Nicola Talent. People asking questions regarding her own safety or threats against her, for instance, regarding the work she does. And I want to drill in a little bit again uh, with regards to Cork. We hear an awful lot about uh, the major kingpins and the, king, the gangland criminals and all of the names 
roll off the, th- the tongue, the monk and the penguin and the general and all of these kind of things. But what about Cork? Uh, you know, uh, who's controlling Cork? Uh, but on the issue of drugs and addiction and issues like that, selection attacks, if you want to look and you talk of legalizing hard drugs, look at what happened in the United States and OxyContin. OxyContin was sold as a legal pain reliever. This was the root and cause for the current fentanyl and opiate epidemic in America, which led to the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people. What was the documentary on OxyContin? And then there was a docudrama made on it. Powerful stuff. OxyContin was originally very much a blue-collar drug that was used by people who suffered injuries. As an example, injuries or pain due to work-related injuries if they worked in uh, big factories. You know, they might have, might have been mining. They might have been working with sheet metal, um, they, you know, and they were injured in the workplace and had bad pain and they were prescribed OxyContin but the doses of the OxyContin became the issue with the company increasingly making stronger and stronger OxyContin doses and it led to people being hooked and then the GPs uh, were unfortunately the doctors were a lot of time in the back pocket of the manufacturers of the drugs and were being paid and had sweetheart deals going and of course when GPs then started to refuse to up doses for people who were on OxyContin it drove them into the drug trade, buying it from dealers and on the black market or going around to multiple pharmacies trying to fill multiple prescriptions. It was dreadful. Well worth seeing. If you want to Google it yourself, there's a lot online about, about OxyContin. One of them was called The Crime of the Century. I think it was one of the TV shows. Was that your man who was uh, Batman? He played the part of Batman there at one stage. I can't remember his name. Uh, sorry, I can't come on air as I'm working, but this is just one example of a, a city's people and economy r- wrecked by relaxing drug laws. Our laws are enforced, but they're lax enough already with very little punishment for committing any crime in Ireland. It's tougher laws we need. More guardy walking on our streets is what we need. Not drugs made legal, says Jason. So that's an interesting perspective as well. And one more here. I'm listening daily and today you were speaking about drink and drug addiction. I'm married eight years and I have two young children. My husband is a functioning alcoholic. Every day is draining. We have a big mortgage and I genuinely don't see a way out. He was never a big drinker. He doesn't see that he needs any help and refuses to address the situation, which becomes so hard as none of the children can be left in his care. Uh, obviously, it's getting worse over time. So I definitely know alcohol is as bad or not, if not worse than any other drug that you speak of. I'm just wondering, has anyone been in this situation and can see a way out without needing to spend thousands on solicitors? Please keep my name private for obvious reasons. When you say you want out, as in you want out of the relationship and you want out of the marriage or the partnership, you don't want to see if he can be helped really with regards to rehab or giving up and walking away from alcohol. Is that what you're saying? So if it's help you need, I don't know how you would do it uh, without the help of uh, of a solicitor if it's a separation or a divorce you're going to go through. I mean, if you want out, you could just tell him that he has to go. Maybe it's impacting so badly upon the family and the children but I'd allow people to uh, offer their own advice on that text 0868 104 106 it's a dope sick dope sick's the one I'm thinking about thank you dope sick with Michael Keaton well worth watching uh, on the scandal and the scourge of OxyContin dope sick uh, back on line one is Nicola Tanner to squeeze me in again because she's having as she said herself at the start of this a very busy week Nicola I won't keep you much longer thank you so much 
No, no, thanks. Yeah, sorry, just, that took a little bit longer than expected. No, I didn't. I no, you're grand. Listen, um, it's just if I got one text, I got at least seven or eight of them wondering about your own safety or threats against your good self. I mean, you weren't. I don't believe you were doing the investigative journalism and stuff when, when unfortunately, Veronica Guerin was murdered. But we know that she was threatened on numerous times. What about you? Well, look, like all crime correspondents, there can be sometimes the things get a little bit hairy. Um, you usually, look, it's a case of learning how to work safely, to trying to avoid to get personal with people um, and to give, in a way, even with criminals, give everybody a bit of a fair outing, you know. Um, by and large, journalists are following what's already happening with law enforcement. We're not really disrupting massive criminal networks. We don't really have the ability to follow the funds, to follow the money, to untangle the finances. So usually we're kind of reporting on what has happened to them. You know, they're already becoming undone or whatever when, um, you know, we're at the table. Mm. But at the same time, you always have to be aware of the capabilities of these people and be very careful where and when to meet anybody and basic things like that. But by and large, I've had an okay time of it, you know. Any threats? Um, There have been in the past, yeah. There have been. Okay. Um, Do the guards get involved if there's a threat? Yeah, well, I mean, if there's a proper, proper real deal threat, you get issued with a guard information message, which has happened. Um, That happened to me actually shortly after the Regency Hotel when things were very volatile um, and, you know, it was a very dangerous time. But a lot of the threats will abate. They do. They just abate and you you kind of, um, you just have to get on with things. It can be scary, but, you know, you you sort of get, get, uh, the logical brain will kick in again Mm. after, you know, a short period of time. Yeah, but you just wonder if some criminal at some stage will say... The only way to stop this is stop this person writing about me, putting me on the front page of the tabloids of the Sunday world. Do you know what I'm saying? In a way, funny enough, I think like everything else, those sort of things have, those days are gone. Like, people can't control the media. We know that ourselves, which with social media, et cetera, et cetera. Criminals nowadays are actually up there themselves on social media. They're sometimes issuing threats. They're sometimes... Uh, you know, giving out messages to one another. They're sometimes running propaganda machines um, for groups. You know, there's currently one there at the moment. If you look on online, you'll see a Twitter site called Free the Monk. And that's actually been run in the background by associates of his, and it's been very supportive of him through his trial and all the rest of it. So you, you, the world you, has changed, really. You, you said in an interview recently... Yeah, yeah, but you said in an interview recently um, that... And, and I'm always slow to use the term far-right because I think there are genuine people who have genuine concerns about Ireland and where Ireland is going, and they're branded as being far-right. But but you, you spoke recently in an interview talking about elements of the far-right that are funded by criminal gangs. Is, is that true? Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. I mean, you know, again, we're back up to this much higher structure. We're not talking about grassroots stuff that's happening. This much higher structure um, is a powerful entity that is trying to influence corrupt government, sports, everything else. And they do fund elements of the far right because they know that they're going to suck up all the resources of the Gardaí, the police, wherever it is they're operating. And they do suck up a lot of resources. And if the resources are sucked up by 
officers looking in one direction, they can do what they want over there. You know? And that is, that goes on. In, in the sense that the rallies are, some of the rallies are some of the protests that we hear about refugees or Ukrainian people fleeing war, that that's funded by criminality. You look at some of the sort of more dominant characters within that far-right movement and, you know, the agitators within that far-right movement and the ones who are organising and setting up things. And yes, absolutely, undoubtedly, they have been funded by organised crime. Um, You know, terrorism is funded by organised crime. So, like, this is a huge, big structure that goes on way above our heads, you know, and, and globally. It's a global thing. Like little old Ireland, Cork, Dublin, wherever, are just small places. We're just small little ants on the map of organised crime. And, you know, if you could zoom down from that top place, you're going to find a drug deal done on the street because that's where the money's coming from. The money will go right up and it creates the power. And, and, and with regards to Angarda Shikana, right up from the top down, in yet another interview you did recently, you, I stopped short of saying criticise, but you certainly had words to say about why would the boss of the Irish Gardaí have to be brought down for the PSNI, that we had people within Angarda Shikana who were capable of being uh, the boss. Is that an accurate portrayal of what you said? Yeah, I mean, I, just, I think the... I didn't totally understand that appointment. Look, they want to create change within the Garda Shikona. They need change. I don't necessarily think we always, to create change, have to look to the likes of the old RUC and the Metropolitan Police in the UK, who are riddled with, I mean, uh, allegations and factual corruption and everything else. I mean, our own Garda Shikona aren't actually that bad. It definitely has needed change. That sort of old boys club thing has to be washed out of it. And the the more modern threat within it is the corruption, the, the drug gangs corrupting corrupting guards because yeah. they will be targeting them. Of course, it's handy to have a guard in your pocket, yeah. isn't it? And does that happen? Um, oh, yes, of course it does. God. Of course it does. And... Um, Absolutely. Tipped off, tipped I mean, off I, by a member of Angarda in advance or something, is it? Yeah, I don't think it's massively widespread, but it's there. And the guards have just set up a, a, their actual anti their own anti corruption unit to try and start policing it because it is there. Like that EncroChat hack in in Europe, uh, which where they were listening in live to the criminal phone, um, and and the, the the subsequent Sky ECT hack that uncovered massive corruption within the ports, you know, within local authorities, within politics, within police forces, within the judiciary. Um, But but looking to Ireland, the Irish ports, or the Irish Gardaí, or Irish politicians, are you saying there's shady deals going on here? I don't know exactly. We have a smaller situation here, but undoubtedly there are people being corrupted all the time by drug money. Undoubtedly. We are no different... We cannot sit aloof from any other yes. country yeah. in yeah. Europe. We are absolutely no different. We are a country that is populated by human beings who are weak and vulnerable to drug money. Okay. End of. Okay. And that's the way it is. And that's why we do have to be constantly talking about this, being aware of it, you know, and um, not burying our heads. You know, 
we've always been slightly a step behind the likes of states or the UK with movement and different types of drugs that are coming, arriving. But they're very good indicators to us of what's coming. Okay, so I was saying to you earlier about the knife crime. Yeah, so we we, we dealt with knife crime and also clearly, obviously, cocaine, crack cocaine, heroin, MGMA, ketamine. Mm -hmm. Where's Cork in all of this? Where's fentanyl? Because it'll be next. Fentanyl as Um, well, yeah. yeah. Cork is actually an interesting spot, right? Because it is, um, obviously you have ports. So it's an entry point. It's been a, it's been traditionally an entry point of drugs into this country and for onwards transport to the UK. We saw in the 90s massive big seizures of cocaine. Those boats started coming over from South America. Some of them washed in because of bad weather to your port. That's but right. others were, you know, landed there. And there was a, 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 there was a, at the time, there was a very big, significant southern mafia down there working hand in glove with uh, George the Penguin Mitchell, who would be equal in size and power, perhaps, as Christy Kinahan. He's a massive, big, uh, organised crime boss who's, who's been based on the continent for years, and they've been working with his network. So that all, that is still in existence, and those guys have managed to stay off the radar, but still operate. And they are major suppliers of drugs into both Ireland and certain cities in the UK. But are there any um, particular major players in Cork or does Dublin control Cork as a cell? Oh, no. There are major players in Cork as well. Absolutely. And I tell you what, there's major players in every town in Cork at this stage. Every single town in Cork, there is major and organised networks of drug gangs um, that are operating. And again, we can't be naive to think that rural towns don't have significant drug structures in place. They do. Every rural town does. Drugs have been pushed right out across the country. And um, look, the the Criminal Assets Bureau have profilers that have been trained up in the Cork area. Um, The Cork sort of higher-end drug bosses tend to be violent, I think, which is in coming with the likes of the Penguin Network, they don't draw attention to themselves. They're a little bit cleverer than their Limerick counterparts who have, through violence, caused a huge amount of problems for themselves yeah. and a constant guard of presence. There's a little bit more of a cleverer organised crime uh, operator in the Cork area, whether you want to take that as a compliment. Yeah. So, so clearly, without naming anybody, you would know the individual or, indeed, is it a, is it a family? Is it run like a business empire? There is a lot of big crime, big drug dealers in Cork. I've been up and down to Cork a lot over the last three years. And, um, you know, unfortunately in this country, we're not in a position necessarily to name a lot of people unless they either become subject of cab proceedings or they're convicted in the courts. Um, our libel laws are very strict and we can be open to mm. being sued ourselves, which mm. nobody wants to hand more money to these guys. Mm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, look, I could absolutely identify. I think Cork is no different to Dublin. Dublin has a lot more sort of chaotic, violent gangs who are very well armed. And obviously the population is bigger, so you're going to have more criminality. But um, undoubtedly Cork has has exactly the same drug problem as, as Dublin. And perhaps the likes of what I'm talking about, the knife crime you're seeing down there, is what we're seeing here with gun crime with the younger people. It's very depressing, isn't it? 
really and truly, just going from bad to worse? Yeah, well, it, it is what it is, and we can't bury our heads in the sand. We just have to start or keep working out how to tackle it and how to try and lessen it as much as possible. Good. And, and, and how to reach out into those communities and try and steer kids the other way, the other way, uh, until they're, you know, they're, they're fully functioning adults themselves. Okay, you will continue to write. You will continue to present the podcast. I was looking at it last night, 273 episodes. This week's one, of course, featured parts in the Penguin. It's very interesting that everybody left the court, sorry, the monk, everybody left the courtroom after the guilty verdict. But you happened to, uh, because of some kind of a sixth sense, decided to go back in again um, and met him right after the guilty verdict? I did. I did. But sure, look, he was, you know, everybody was, the media... When when some when there's a lot of media together, we don't really we don't function very well. To be honest with you, we get this sheep mentality, and I'm saying more that I'm just so long in the tooth at this stage. I've seen it so many times, and you sort of you have that. There's a word for it that the young people use, and you don't want to miss anything. Do you know you have this absolute fear of missing a thing? So FOMO, isn't it? Media, Momo, that's it, thank you. Yeah. The members of the media go around the side of the court and we all go with them like sheep, just in case. And I'm going to myself, if nobody ever comes out the side of the court, what, what am I doing here? And I went back around the front, there was more panic going on there. And she said, like, go back in and have a look and see where he is because he was up around the canteen. Yeah. And just as I went back in, he came out of the lifts and uh, we, we stood and had a nice little conversation. Um, and what you say to him? How, how are you feeling? What do you think of the verdict? Is it? Well, yeah. Well, he said that he was expecting. You know, he he thought it was the right verdict, the correct judgment. Of course, he's going to say that, and it was actually it mm. was. Mm. Um, I told him that because it was that was because of three women judges, and if more of us women got into position to power, the whole country would run more smoothly. And he agreed. <laughs> he agreed. He nodded his head with that one. Yeah. Um, so look, he's the monk is shy. The monk is actually quite a shy guy. He's not threatening. He's friendly. He's. Uh, we were just really having chit chat. The guy had just been released. He was facing a life term in prison at the age of sixty. And um, I'm sure I was just nattering. Like I'm sure I was noise to him. Yeah. And he was. We were just politely talking. To be honest with you, before he walked out into that mayhem. And of course, typically they rang a taxi for him, right? And the taxi. <laughs> was late. Only in this country could this happen. And out he goes and the taxi's there. He can't see the taxi. So he's walking up and down outside with this mob of media surrounding him. Cars are coming down Infirmary Road. You know, everybody's going to work, whatever they're doing. Windows are down. People are either shouting at him or shouting at me. Here, Nicholas, if you get off. Yeah. And they're all beeping and people are going in looking for selfies with him. Oh, for God's sake, selfies. Oh, my God. Will people ever learn and cop themselves on? But maybe that's for another day. It was a a circus. It was a circus, to be honest with you. But it was extraordinary to see him, you know, to see him walking free. And it was the right thing. I mean, the evidence... They couldn't put him at at the crime scene, is what you're saying. It would would have been wrong. I would have been really deeply uncomfortable had he been convicted because I heard the evidence and they didn't have it. Yeah, a circus and a show. Your show is coming to Cork on May 18th. It's a Thursday night. Thank you. I have some tickets to give away. It's called Omerta. Isn't that some mafia Italian lingo for um, never rat, uh, keep your mouth shut? Exactly. That's exactly what it is. And it's about, it's all about the betrayal of Hutch. This 
idea that this secret code exists within that world where you never, you know, it's the ultimate sin. And yet people do it all the time. And what happens to them? What's their future look like? What are the risks to them? What are the benefits to them? You know, in the end of the day, who's going off would help to start a new life in this whole story, this whole saga, Jonathan Dowdall. So it's all about that and it's about the history of it and, you know, where it started, where it developed. And, um, you know, then the first half is just myself discussing that, hopefully entertaining people and not scaring them too much. And, uh, you know, it'll be video, audio, all of that going on. And the second half is a live podcast with my usual contributor, Niall Donald, um, where we're going to discuss some entertaining stories around it, some serious stories around it, and other stuff besides. Good. So it'll be hopefully a bit of a thrill and a bit of a... Uh, a bit of fun as well. Well, knowing you, well, you'll do you'll, the balance. Yeah, knowing you, you'll do it right. I, I, incidentally, the witness podcast was incredible. Congratulations on that. It is just a fabulous piece of work, and if people haven't heard it, then they certainly should. The weekly podcast is called Crime World and is coming to Cypress Avenue on Thursday, the eighteenth of May. The doors at seven o'clock. You can book tickets at cypressavenue.ie. I have a couple of pairs to give away and thank you for them, Nicola. Much obliged for staying much longer than you'd intended. You're very kind. Mind yourself. No Take problem. Care. Thanks, Neil. I hope you're coming. I'll be there. I'll be there. All right. We'll catch up. Okay, bye. Take care of yourself. You. Cheers bye, for bye, now. Bye. Nicola Talent, investigating journalist and uh, a fabulous podcaster. A podcast now, 273 episodes in and you can follow it and listen to it yourself. So the show itself would be a journey into the dark heart of Ireland's criminal underworld and the murders that shattered its sacred code and the sacred code being Omerta. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 Red FM. Yeah, I did make it clear enough just before the break. Lines are open for the uh, tickets for Nicola Talent's show at Cypress Avenue right now. We'll take callers 9 and 10 on 0818 So it's Thursday, the 18th of May at 7 o'clock. Only call if you can go. You can book tickets yourself in Cypress Avenue online. But let me just tell you that this will sell out so I wouldn't hang around. Everything sells out at Cypress Avenue and this will too. So callers 9 and 10 to 0818104106. Meanwhile, around about 20 past half past 11 this morning, I'll be talking to the man himself, Tom, Tom, Tom Fullery Tiernan, because uh, he's playing live with the Marquee on the 8th of June and I will have tickets to give away for that in the next hour as well. Not now when I'm chatting with Tommy a little bit later on. Uh, so lines will be open for that then. But, you know, we talk about the scourge of drugs and we got a real insight into it, really root and branch my conversation with Nicola Talent. You also will find out exactly how bad it is if you ever talk to a family member who lost a loved one uh, to uh, drugs or the scourge, say, for instance, uh, with regards to poor old Leon, who died in March of 2021 and left two children behind, the scourge of heroin. I spoke with this ma'am, Christine, some time back. In fact, the second anniversary of his passing was only last month, and Christine joins me again by phone. Christine, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? And you waited a, a long time this morning. I apologise for that. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry no about that. I'm sorry about that. But listen, two years later, does it feel like two years since Leon's passing? No, not really. Yeah, time stands still, I suppose, in many ways when you lose yeah, a son. Yeah. yeah. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. from a mother who buried his son from addiction. Yeah. Like yeah. if you asked me Neil, a few years ago about opening centres, an injection centre, I'd have disagreed. But no, I'd be 100% behind it. Would you? The death of your son changed that, yeah. did it? Yeah. Number one, they'd be supervised. They'd get needles. 
and they could be carped and put away safely. Instead of putting them on the street, I often had to get a needle down the shore, stuck in walls. Like one person could hand his needle to somebody else, yeah. they could use it. But if a centre opened, at least they're supervised. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and they yeah. get an opportunity to say to be counselled or helped maybe to go into rehab if there was a place for them in rehab and to turn their life around, you know? Yes, Nate, but there's not enough help there for no. them. No, we talk, yeah. it, they talk a lot about it, but, you know, nothing they seems do. to. They're doing nothing. Yeah. yeah. Like but Leon, but Leon did try, didn't he? I know, sadly, he, he left two young children behind as well, so that's yeah. cataclysmic, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He tried and tried and tried. And so did you, didn't you, Christine? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's so sad to see, you know, I go downtown maybe six days a week and when I see him on the street sitting down, nowhere to go, it's so, it's heartbreaking, heartbreaking. So there should be a change made. Mm. That open centre, oh, it's okay for people to say, do you hear her now? If it was only in the grounds of a hospital. Mm. A prefab, you know. Would they go, do you think? Would Leon have gone? Well, here today, I don't know. But if there was a centre there, maybe he would have. Mm. Mm. As I said, there's not, a health, there's not enough health there for them. When you see the misfortunes who clearly are in the throes of heroin addiction, or maybe even multiple addictions, you see the family behind them, don't you? You see the real life yeah. story son or the daughter? It's actually not the poor child. What's it? What's it, you know? What has addiction? Is the whole family is affected? The whole family. Yeah. It's not the addict. It's the whole family. I know. I remember the last time we chatted. It was heartbreakingly sad because you would see Leon on the street, wouldn't you? And, yeah. And he wouldn't know you. No. And when I went into Leon's inquest, Neil, I never thought there was so much into drugs. What he took, all the seizures he got, bed every day of a seizure. And I swear to God, if I could only show people who's an addict what Leon went through. Yeah, before they start at all. Yeah, before they start at all. It's heartbreaking what that poor child went through. Yeah. Yeah. And other children, you know, other parents, sons, daughters. How old was husbands. he? Leon was just 31. Yeah. I happened to him on the Friday night when he was found and he was 31 on the Saturday. Yeah, yeah. And do you recall how it all started to unravel from? Was he very young? Well, they say about 10 years and it started with hash. Hash. And it went to heroin, yeah. So, so the heroin actually killed Leon. Yeah. You, see, you see a link between starting and hash and then moving to other things, do you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because some say that cannabis will be legalised at some stage, you know, for recreational use. Yes. You know. You wouldn't, so, be, an, you wouldn't be an advocate or a supporter of even that, No. Well, I suppose they say, like, cannabis is good for pains and good for yeah, this, yeah, you know? Yeah. So, 
And why do you think he moved from cannabis to heavier stuff and ultimately to heroin? Is it the company people keep or what? Well, I never really blamed company early on, you know? Yeah. It's just God love us. He got so addicted to it and couldn't come off it, know. you know? Yeah. He did try, though, in fairness to him. He did try, he did. Yeah. You were there from, and the family were there from. It must have been, it must have been yeah. a very difficult time feeling so helpless, you know? Yeah, that's what happened to me, you know. Yeah, changed your life irrevocably, didn't it? Changed our whole life, yeah. I know. What could have been? What could have been? Yeah. I have a a vox from the streets of Cork as to what people think of the drug treatment centre, whether it should happen or should not happen. Um, That's why I wanted to chat with you before I played it, because you would have been of the belief some years ago, no way, but now having gone through what you've gone through, you're very much in favour of it. Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah, okay. Okay, let's have let's have a listen to that. But Christine, thank you so much for coming back on the air this morning. Appreciate it. Okay, thank you, Neil. Find yourself, you Christine. Me. Wonderful woman, Christine Kavanagh, the mother of the late uh, Leon. Our thoughts are with uh, all of the family and every one of them, including his, his two children. So Seamus was on the streets of Cork there last week. Now, councillors and Gardaí, HSE, Members telling you the story, they're going to head to Portugal next month. They're going to Lisbon. They're on a fact-finding mission. They're going to go and visit some supervised injection centres and examine the options to see if anything that's working in Lisbon might actually work here. Of course, one of the bones of contention for many people on Leaside is exactly where that injection centre would be. Uh, but enough of me. So the streets of Cork, this is your views. I come to work every morning. They're pestering me all over the streets at six, seven o'clock in the morning. People with addiction. Looking for money, looking for this, looking for that. People don't want it on their doorstep and that'll be the, the issue. People objecting who's nearby this addiction centre. What they're looking at is to house it in a medical facility. But like if you put it up to the old orthopaedic or out in St Finbar's, are they going to go out there? Uh, I wonder. <laughs> Do we have to provide a taxi as well? They should be helped. Make time, make room, you know, make time for them. Could be my son, your son, your daughter, my daughter. Everyone deserves a chance. I know that at one stage they were actually talking about um, doing it in a chemist near St. Mary's, Mm. but the residents objected. And that's going to happen no matter where you are, because people say, oh, you're bringing all the addicts into our uh, community, right? Yeah. So, ideally, if you're somewhere in the centre of the city, Maybe you wanted the Mercy Hospital somewhere where where where, where you know. have all the business people complaining then. But of course, but no matter where you go, <laughs> you can you can make everyone happy. Yeah. You know. Um, but like the business people are complaining at the moment because of all the addicts in the street. So, you know, people who are taking drugs, you can't stop them doing it. Mm. You you put them into jail, they're out again, and they're doing the same thing again. So you need a centre, yes, but a centre with bringing people in, having a chat with them, giving them the injection. Yeah. And if they want to talk to someone, there's someone there to talk to. Not just go in, take your injection and go out. I think it's a good thing, yeah, absolutely. Just plenty of people with drug problems around the city. It's not a great look and I'm not saying anything bad about the people. They get into desperate uh, addictions. I do feel sorry for them. So I think it would be a fantastic resource, yeah, definitely. And would you have it in the city or further out? I'd have it in the city, absolutely, for a start-off. I think that's where, well, I'm from the city, I live in the city, so I see most of the problems in the city, so I reckon it'd be, it would make sense to have it in the city, yeah, absolutely. It's just parts of the city, are no-go zones, it's just a shame. And for that reason, 
Peace Park above the Grand Parade, no go zone. It's just pretty much now for uh, alcoholics and drug addicts. I was going to call it a spade a spade, that's what it is. Unfortunately. So I think something needs to be done about it. Again, it's, there's no easy solution, but I think that would be uh, certainly a start, yeah. Yeah, and then we need the treatment centres after that then, don't we? Of course we do. I mean, it's the small steps, but uh, you have to take some steps to address it. So, that's my opinion. Everyone needs help in hand now, now and again. That's my opinion. Yeah, and where, would you like to see it in the city centre or up in, we'll say, St Mary's, the, the old orthopedic? I don't care where it is. Once people I think there's somewhere where someone can walk to and feel safe and, and get the right. But like Joe, it's near from because yeah. most people is would be north side and south side people that would need help, like to the city centre. Sure, our brother passed away from drugs. Off. Did he? Yeah. Oh, so so sorry. it would be easier and better if they did have things like if that they that need, they could yeah. go in and talk to someone and really need help. It would be really good. Did he struggle all his life with... No, he got in with a bad crowd at the wrong age and went from there. Down the hill, we couldn't save him, in other words. Yeah. Because, like, we're here on Merchant's Quay and there's an actual needle there that's uncapped. So if anybody put their back to it... It's a Jeez, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. a You could catch stuff from that. We've often, we've often walked around town and yeah. seen them on the floors as oh, well. on top of bus stops and stuff like that. Yeah, like we were on the bus, number three bus coming in town last week, was it? And the bus stop at the back of Duns, the top of the bus stop, spoons and needles were on top of that, like thrown up on top of the bus shelter. So it's not getting any better, is it? No, no I think it's getting, it's getting worse. worse. They need to like up their step and we're going get the facilities for these kind of people that need them. What are the treatment centres there once they have the facilities in place? I think well, there's too many people looking for treatment. I think there's... It's hard, like, because you can't make someone go. They have to go on their own terms. Like, you can't say, yeah, you're going in to get your help. They have to do it for themselves. A lot of people go to treatment not, just not to go to jail, but then... They, 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 as soon as they come back out of treatment, they're back on the streets and yeah. using again, like, a lot of that as well. It's my first time coming into Cork City oh. in eight months. I've been here every single Friday morning before. I have a sister, she hasn't been in, in here for three years. Because you don't feel safe in here. That's the problem. If, if there was police walking around, there would be no needles stuck in the wall or no one on the ground half out of their tree or nothing. That's the problem. It's not where to build a centre for them. It's put more police on the ground. Everything. Like I'm in my 70s. We all had tough lives growing up, but we never turned to stuff like that. It wasn't, it wasn't around either. It wasn't around. Yeah. But you notice all, oh, poor me, oh, God, look, there's I trouble at the home. I do like. think an awful lot of it is all their own fault. I'm sorry, no, but that's my opinion. And I think they're putting, I think they're putting too much emphasis on it all together. That's what I think. I don't. I think they should be out, out of the city altogether. But would they go out of the city then? Would you have to sure, put a bus on for them? Else for them? Put, you see, that's more of it. Put a bus on for them. Jesus <laughs> Christ, Tom. We should be walked everywhere. We never had a bus. We never had a car. We never had a bike. Unless we borrowed one from somebody. Because if I love there, he's out of his tree as well. He'd have to come up the alleyway. Do you know I, I mean, I don't remember. I can spot him a mile away. I, I'd be afraid if I was on my own. That's why I took her up out of bed this morning to come in with me. Even to, to park in Paul Street now and to come down on the lift. No, I wouldn't do it like But before, it never, ever bothered me. Never bothered me, but it bothers a lot of us now. I thought one of the points that were made by one of the young people on that Vox was... Um, 
uh, lost her lost her brother to um, imagine what she was talking about was was heroin addiction. He died. Uh, he got in with a bad crowd as he at a young age, and we couldn't save him. You know that says so much. He got in with a bad crowd at a young age, and we couldn't save him. A lot of the time, the company you keep, others would say, unfortunately, it can be your rearing or where you are. And you know what? It can even be a lottery as to where you live or the people that are living around you or indeed the carry-on and the estates that you're living in, unfortunately. Uh, it's tough, particularly if you're trying to raise your children to keep them on the straight and narrow. And there's a day goes by when I'm not sending videos and video footage. Even this morning while chatting with Nicola Talent, two different videos popped in. One was a video of an attack on a man suspected of, inf- of, suspected of informing to the Gardaí about drugs and informer uh, that breaks the Armurta code, I suppose. Um, and that was a bad attack uh, happening in the south of suburbs of the city the other night over someone ratting out a fella over, over selling drugs. Uh, I don't know if it was done out of the goodness of his heart or whether it was other issues behind it as to why the ratting out was done. Uh, unmerciful kickings and beatings. And the, the other one then, we actually referenced on the air the other day, it was outside the courthouse, but this must have been another fight because it's a fight, um, uh, oh, it's disappeared off, it's a fight um, that took place outside the courthouse yesterday. It spilled out onto the streets across from the Garda station on Anglesey Street. And last week there was one Oh yeah, it's an unmerciful poking and beating. Yeah, there they go. One, two, three, four, five of them. They're all in now. Oh, six now. And here comes another fellow. Seven, eight, nine, ten of them now. Um, incredible. Right in the middle of the day. Uh, and on top of all of that, of course, there was another fight, a uh, fairly bad fight, um, on the Cole Cay. Uh, not 50 yards from uh, the Brideboat Garda station. Uh, so there you have it. Text 0868 We're back after 11. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on the Big Red Bench. That's the Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show. Red FM. I'll talk to Graham on other calls in a few minutes' time just to catch up on what we've been doing so far this morning. Incidentally, all week long this week, I've live at the marquee tickets to give away. Today it's the turn of tickets for Tommy Tiernan for the show on June 15th. Tomorrow it's Ollie Murs and on Friday Bell X1 so I'll chat with Tommy Tiernan around about half past 11, give away some tickets at that stage but there's a lot happening in the world of entertainment. There's a story making the Times UK today and I know it may sound to some that I'm absolutely infatuated by uh, self-drive cars and artificial intelligence and stuff like that because I am but I do see an article this morning saying the first viral hit song that was created entirely by artificial intelligence involved cloning the voices of artists like Drake. It had to be taken down from streaming services. There was no human involvement in it whatsoever. It was done by AI and a creditable song, too, for that matter. Uh, it's been taken down, but I'd love to get my hands on it because I'd love to hear exactly what it's like. Uh, which hot key is it? I think we have a little clip of it here now at this stage, if I can see which one it is. Uh, it's called Hearts. Is it called Hearts on My Sleeve? Is that the one? No? No. Okay, I'll come back to it as soon as I can find out which one it is. But it just goes to show how quickly these things are moving. But I was mentioning uh, also the return of the cassette tape. Uh, back in vogue again, uh, hugely popular, per- predominantly across the 70s and the 80s. I suppose more, more the 80s than anything else, because in the 80s, you had the arrival of the Sony Walkman. And sales of Sony Walkmans as well have gone up, never mind the fact that people are mixing their own 2023 tapes. Because back in the day, everybody did, did. And Paul sent me a text saying, tape.
taping the top 40 on the radio, but you had to be quick on the pause button to stop the DJ from talking over the end of the track and over the start of the next track. You did have to be very quick with the pause button and that is true so that's good to see these kind of things coming back again um, anyway this is just a clip of the song um, it's it's supposed to be a collab between Drake and The Weeknd but it's totally done by artificial uh, intelligence um, uh, 100% uh, and this this is the way of the future I suppose this is the way the world is going Whatever your thing is, I think it's rubbish. But anyway, that's just my own musical taste would be a million miles from that. But it sounds like the real McCoy, right? It sounds like Drake, yeah. That that yeah. definitely sounds like if I heard that on radio, I'd be like, oh. So Drake Drake's freaking really out about this. So he should be. I mean, and this is if if it if so you would heard other artists. Well I was gonna say, like if you turned into some pirate online radio station, all of a sudden you heard Neil Prendival on the airwaves doing what Neil Prendival does but it's a robot you'd be freaked as I'd love it would you no the only thing the one thing that concerned me was I I find a a section of society let's say this have now started to create these kind of like promo vids right yeah and they're taking video and they're and this is very much targeted against refugees and asylum seekers and what Mm. have you and they have taken all of this video right of um, incidents involving asylum seekers and refugees and gatherings and where people live or fights and things and they've taken my audio from various radio programs and they've taken me reading out texts yeah. from members of the public, stitching them all together as if I've gone on a rant yeah. against refugees. Um, that, that's alarming. Like, that's as fake as you can get. And it's very, I suppose, it's very worrying that you are essentially, as a broadcaster, Endorsing so open it. to, well, you're so open to people yeah. being able to, because now, you know, like we have a podcast, of course, on redfm.ie. You can, you know, people can rip audio. People are kind of... And are stitch audio. And, and edit audio. So that, that, that has happened. So yeah. that thing annoys me. You know, yeah. I don't live in that kind of on world, online world. So I, I wouldn't have known it except somebody thought that it was a good idea to tell me. Yeah. In fact, it's not, uh, but but this no kind sense. of this kind of stuff. Uh, I just, artificial intelligence. It fascinates me because Pat Phelan said to me, "I'm living in the movies. This will never happen. It will. Well, it, it will it, take it, over. It will. But I, I suppose the thing is, um, you know, like at what rate will it take over? So I know a lot of people are very worried. But when we were speaking to our AI ChatGPT expert, Mihal, that's I, right. But look at Brendan, how, I think, look how yeah. fast we've come in six months. We weren't talking about ChatGPT. We weren't talking mm-hmm. about AI creating songs. Or we weren't. I, I built a promo and played it on the air last week from artificial intelligence with voiceovers and like that's in six months. Yeah. I, it, and it does it, like that's what I'm saying about Drake I mean if you are Drake then like all of a sudden you could create Drake rapping something that is I don't know let's uh, let's say transphobic or hom- homophobic or, I forgot about that you know like representing the artist and, and uh, or coming up with lyrics and saying well finally got Drake on this track or you could have up and coming artists potentially trying to make it seem like they're collaborating with these big man. mega names you know fascinating. just while your mic's open there just tell me about that video because um, uh, that one from Anglesey Street yesterday is actually in the doorway of Anglesey Street courts, courthouse 
and somebody's getting an unmerciful beating and there are men and women, young men and women involved in it. Right? Yeah, this is the one in Anglesey Street. Uh, I was looking at the one in Toker as well. This was sent in by actually a number of different people um, outside the courthouse, which is quite worrying. Um, you can you can hear it um, here in the background even um, on your phone, I think. But yeah, it's it's... Like they are just yes. tearing I mean there must be All piled on top of each other And then one of the guys Gets another guy in a headlock The guy who's in a headlock Pretty much passes out Because he's of the lack of oxygen He's in the headlock And then somebody comes along To the guy who gives him In a headlock and pucks him Because he's, he's basically unprotected It's um And he lets him go And he collapses on the ground Collapses on the floor yeah It's just What it's, world uh, are these people living it's in? It's the spilling out onto the street Is worrying as well I mean it's whatever about it happening Like that's some way contained Because it's on the steps to the courthouse but like the one we saw the other one was a free-for-all on I think it was Copley Street is it they were yeah that was was possibly a spillover from that the other one then is involves you said to me the attack in Toker this is really vicious right yeah okay talk me through that this is uh, the one we heard from the the suspected informant uh, on I think what was some drug deals going on and this guy is he's being dragged around by these two individuals there's a, I think what is either the backside of a hammer or potentially some sort of a hook that they're using to try and basically puncture holes in him um, is, it, is, is it kind of a the, screwdriver kind of thing yeah, I don't, I, it's very hard to see because it's at night but like this guy is he's just getting an unmerciful beating from these these two other guys and it's <laughs> Like, that's the world of drugs then that's that's basically it, and it sends out a message I suppose that's why these things are, are filmed they send out a message oh, to I those see. who yeah. this is what are thinking happen. about doing the same thing you'll be next you know um, I mean we've heard other things about ears being caught you know all these things that you do hear about informants it's not it's not something that we don't already know but well, it's just see, got, seeing got, it got is badly quite, slashed in the face and apparently it wasn't the first time either yeah well, I saw photographs of that too that's, that's all this stuff is, is it's pretty scary if you are thinking about it or if you're in a position where you feel like you need to inform it would certainly you know change change your thinking totally and that's what that message is here's the message for those of you thinking of informing thank you for that um, thank you to those that, that sent it it's very depressing it's scattered onto Morgan Street near Penny's as well last week uh, Morgan Street goes from the South Mall to Oliver Plunkett Street between Cook Street and Pembroke Street more drugs there more fighting um, and people are sending me photographs of, of needles from those Th- those are the side streets that are very handy for people who want to shoot up anything between Oliver Plunkett Street and, and the South Mall uh, unfortunately uh, Nicola Tallon's conversation with me this morning uh, particularly the reference to the use of as they say the far right uh, and refugee issues far right and organised crime a good excuse to deter any opposition to the government's policy on unlimited numbers of Ukrainians and undocumented migrants into the country uh, is to blame the far right uh, no consultation though with the towns or villages where migrants or refugees are housed a take it or leave it attitude here it seems Unlike the French citizens, we're afraid to voice our honest opinions, you see. This we will regret. Spin doctors will have their day once again. Keep the masses down. Slow on for now. Lots on striker then and the unfortunate accident that led to two people in hospital, one very seriously on a life support machine. This happened at one o'clock yesterday and as their family member said to me in an email this morning, his life was perfect until one o'clock yesterday. I've been working for Stryker for 15 years. Safety is always a high priority. They're a good company to work for. What happened is very tragic accident. I hope they both make a full recovery, but it does not reflect the safety record of the company. Whistleblowers are, for the most part, disgruntled employees waiting for a pylon. And one or two more, there is lots 
I'm 20 years in Stryker. It's a fantastic company to work for and health and safety is a priority across all sites. It's very sad what happened yesterday and our thoughts down here are with family and work colleagues. Uh, and one final one for now. I've been an employee of the Stryker Model Farm Road branch for the last 20 plus years. I have never felt unsafe or had an issue regarding health and safety either here or while in Boston Scientific pre-Stryker. I heard a message read out on your programme regarding working through COVID and that guidelines weren't strictly adhered to. That's absolutely untrue. If anything, they went above and beyond to make things safe for us all. Stryker was closed for weeks while they had all these new procedures put in place. They stayed in place long after they were needed. Some people just love to complain and moan, Neil. I just wanted to put my feelings across. My thoughts and prayers are with the two men that have been injured in Carrick Tool. Please don't put out my name. Thank you for those texts to 0868104106. Back to our phone lines we go. Um, Graham, my apologies for holding you so long. I know you have a lot on, so you have the floor on injection centres. Good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? Good. Go for it. Yeah, um, so just listening today, um, I just said I'd drop a text. And I think that safe injection centres are sites should absolutely be a thing yeah. and my reasoning behind that is just look at our country look at our nation and for too long we've swept addiction, uh, mental health under, under the carpet, under the rug and said ah to be grand you know and I'm That's all changed worried. now because all you hear and it could even be a disservice to people who have serious mental health issues uh, all you hear now is about people's mental health and anxiety and stress and worry. But there really isn't a whole lot of stress and worry in many people's lives who say that there is. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. And I think there's a lot of self-diagnosis as well. Totally, yeah. Based off of what people see off the internet. And so for I, those that are really struggling, of course, that is, um, it's an insult to them. Yes, in a way, yes. Um, but what is really struggling, Neil? Uh, everyone has their own definition of that. And, you know, if me and you are going through the same thing, the exact same experience you in your eyes you could be really struggling and eyes, they're genuine but I hear too often of people who say I'm stressed don't be stressing me don't be giving me anxiety you know don't be affected yeah, by it, mental health and I'm saying that's like that. life uh, that's life yeah 100% and you know it, 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 life is stressful life is hard life is hurtful and we do come across these terms online um, verbally you know from people around us we just adopt them. That's what we do as human beings. We yeah, adopt okay. language, uh, verbalizations, yeah. the whole lot. Yeah. It's how we work. Um, but sometimes it's not an accurate description of what we're going through. And it can lead us to believe that we are going through something when we're not. So it's always good to uh, definitely not self-diagnose straight off the bat. The, and the okay. other thing is to yeah. check in with yourself and just see how you're truly feeling. Thank you for that. But back to the injection centers. These An injection center will only work if it's in a medical campus because putting it in the middle of a community is not fair. I would agree. Yeah. I would agree with that, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, just because they're safe injection centres, if we're looking through the lens of, of crime, it, it's not going to suddenly, drastically change the crime levels. People are still going to be, you know, under the influence of, of, a, of a heavy, heavy substance. The dosages and everything will be regulated. Uh, that's why I do believe in the safe injection centres that everything is looked at through the eyes of, you know, like medically trained professionals. So, dosage will be determined by your, your height, your weight, uh, your usage history, um, you know, how much you've used recently, what you're capable of. Uh, needles will be used and discarded uh, effectively, which is huge. Would it, not be a very, would it not be a very handy area for a drug dealer to hang out to sell drugs? Absolutely, yeah. Well, that's always going to be a thing, Neil. I think, like, 
I always say that, you know, the war on drugs has been going on for decades. It's not, you know, drugs aren't the issue, right? And I'll, I, say, I even say this to my teenage daughter, drinking drugs are not the problem. It's not what you do is the problem, it's why you're doing it. It's the, why you're reaching out, why you feel the need to go, look, safe injection centre, certain amount, amount of dosage, uh, drug dealer I know all along will give me more. That's grand, but as long as they step foot on the campus, um, on the site itself, there's people there who are medically trained and have the resources available. They can literally signpost people and forward, forward people on two places. Um, you'll always, always, always be addicted to something unless you heal mm. uh, the pain and hurt that's going on underneath. Okay. And the majority of people are in denial about that. Um, thankfully, I was open to it and accepting of it. I dealt with it with professionals. And, you know, again, thankfully... Oh, my God, you're here. telling me that you're, you're actually talking from experience. Yeah, I'm six and a half years in recovery from alcohol and drugs, yeah. Mm. I wouldn't be coming on, Neil, unless I actually went through the experience myself. Um, I don't think that, look, people are absolutely entitled to their opinions, uh, whether they're ex-addicts or not. Um, But I just thought I would come on. And And how did you... Well, I put the cart before the horse. I was going to say, how did you get clean? But why did you start, I suppose, the question to ask? Absolutely, Neil. That's um, a really good question. There were things that happened to me uh, as a child. Um, there was about three or four things, three or four traumas that went on at the pretty much the same time. And I was shaken to my core. And from that point on, everything changed about me. The, how I seen the world changed, how I seen myself changed, and my behaviour changed, uh, my attitudes, my habits, the whole lot changed. And I went was hanging around with the wrong crowd, which is... 100% an issue that anyone listening right now you you will become who you hang around with um, I heard a phrase before if you hang around with six losers six losers you'll become the seventh one mm. it's inevitable six, yeah it's inevitable yeah, it is. if you don't you get know, away I, from I, the losers the wrong crowd yeah and I was going through a lot I my ability to make uh, good choices was not there anymore it was a lot easier for me to make poor choices so well, that's at school did. did that fall by the wayside yeah so bullies in primary, all boys school. Uh, majority of the bullies went into the secondary. Again, all boys in the same area. And I was reacting, reacting, reacting. My attention was taken off of learning and just put on trying to survive the day. And I was doing everything I could to, to stop the bullying. And eventually I was just acting out completely where the school said, look, you're just going to have to leave. And I was a fortune. I was actually drinking alcohol. So they threw out the, the victim, huh? They threw out the victim. Yeah, obviously, Jesus. Like, if you look at it, Neil Wright, if we're, we're talking about addiction as well, they throw, like, we're looking at people in a way that's not beneficial for them. Like, they looked at me like I was the problem. And I was causing problems, but I was not the problem. It's the bullying that was going on in school and directed towards me was the so issue. So, did you go to another school or was that the end of your school? No, I actually, I got expelled at 16 and I actually went to rehab um, in Kilkenny. Were you drinking was, at that stage then? Yeah, I was drinking and taking drugs since I was 11. What drugs? Yes, Jesus, everything. Um, so it did, and I, I will say this, it did start off with uh, cannabis uh, at 11. And then it moved on to kind of harder stuff, you know, ecstasy, cocaine and stuff through my, the rest of my teenage years. Um, I was drinking all the time. Anytime I could get drink, I'd get it. How'd you fund all of that? Somebody in a well-paid job, paid job would struggle to fund that. Uh, not necessarily, Neil. I was a child. You know what I mean? It's not like... 
I was able to take a lot, you know, as an adult. Again, like, I'm not being smart. If you go to a, a doctor's, they'll give you a certain amount of uh, milligram medication based off of your size and everything else. And you're like, that's yeah, how we that's work medically. Point. You know yeah, what I mean? So, what, like, the same thing. Like, and it's not like I was take as a teenager, I was taking cocaine every single day. I know. And nine times out of ten, Neil, it wasn't even my cocaine to take anyway in the first place. My friends would have it and I'd take it, you know. So, as um, a kid, did you end up selling then as well? No, absolutely not. Okay. That's one thing I can say. I never once in my life sold drugs. Yeah. No. Yeah. So by the time um, you hit your twenties, the was there just that. chaos then? Is it absolute chaos? Yeah. Um, so geez, if you're looking at it all, over a good few years, I had uh, three suicide attempts. I had nine psych wards days. Jeez. I ended up homeless for three months. Uh, I wasn't going to see my daughter temporarily. I ruined all my relationships. Um, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Um, like diagnosed borderline personality disorder. I had self-harm to the point where doctors were talking about amputation of my right arm, and uh, my right hand, excuse me. Uh, I had to have a blood transfusion, emergency <sighs> artery reattachment surgery. Yeah. What happened to the arm? Uh, I self-harmed. I was oh on God. a drinking drug binge for about three days. Uh, I argued with my partner at the time, and my thing was always to go straight to self-harm when we argued. Um, people had called around the day before selling like kitchen knives um, you know at door to door you know my partner bought them they were literally just on the counter I grabbed the biggest one ok say I, no more say no more than that yeah. if you don't mind uh, yeah. but look, I, I understand where you're going with that yeah. of yeah. course look I'm not going to go into the nitty gritty details no I mean, you understand you understand why we yeah. would just we parked that little bit of the conversation for fear of you know, obvious reasons. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to give out some helpline numbers to people in a few moments' time because this is of a difficult course. conversation for you to have. Difficult yeah. for me to even yeah. listen to it. So, but so was the trouble with the law? Yeah, there was. Yeah, um, I was just constantly reacting again to anyone that came across me. Neil, I was just reacting to mostly. And if I was in good form and I, you know, had a few drinks and you know, a bit of whatever, like I was the life and soul of a party. But if I my mood was off in any way, shape, or form, and I had a few drinks, like I'd end up being extremely paranoid, probably assaulting someone, um, covered in blood, uh, thrown into their cell, you know, left out the next day, and riddled with shame and guilt. So, would the combination of the alcohol and the cocaine make you angry and reactive very quickly? Quickly, yes. And um, what actually would start off is the paranoia. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I would. I would just get extremely paranoid about certain situations or people. Um, what is that paranoia? Them. Somebody's looking at you. Someone said something, or someone's talking about your paranoia. Is it? Yeah, or someone's. You know, like or, or like even if I seen him the other day and he didn't say hi to me down the town or whatever. Like you know, I I see him out in the pub on a Friday and I'd be like, Do you know, what's he looking at? Or do you know what I mean? Who's who's he think he is? He think he's better than me? Not even saying hi and all this, and it was just spiral out of control, you know and. It probably would end up me assaulting that person at some some bit towards the end of the night. So, what was rock bottom? Because one has to hit rock bottom and go below it, right, before one can pick some, oneself up again. What was that? I thought I hit rock bottom, Neil. I thought you hit rock bottom once. I hit it just like numerous times, and I thought I just couldn't get any lower. Um, but I subsequently did. And the rock bottom was that moment with the with the you know the, the, sh- the knives there or whatever, and I ended up in hospital. And you know, doctors were I had to have emergency artery reattachment surgery based off of what I had done. And yeah, they were just talking about amputation of my hand. They said, "Look, um, a hand specialist will come round." He came round to me and he said, "We'll probably look at amputating your hand in the morning." 
and there and then I just got shivers there now again even thinking about that moment but right there and then was you know I just broke into tears I was like I can't believe I've done this like you know I, I was thinking having visions of not being able to pick my daughter and throw her up in the air you know and catch her I'd probably never work I'd never be able to cook clean never be able to do anything again and for that moment as well my mother like it took her anytime I ended up in hospital she was straight up uh, my mother and father did come in you know I'd, I'd go in personally to the crisis nurse or whatever from the back of an ambulance and they'd come in my parents would be there straight away waiting for me almost and this time with the hand incident they, they didn't come up for a day or two and I knew that that like I knew everything I, I was doing was affecting them but I knew that at that point with the hand incident that really really affected them so you had the to hit that, that you, yeah. away, you, know? you had to so, hit that level get that reaction from family and loved ones for some kind of a wake-up call to go off in your head. Yeah. yeah. It was the fear. It was the real fear, Neil, of, of leaving my daughter, you know, with her father um, at that point and, you know, leaving my, you know, I, I want to be mindful now as well as there was um, a family member on earlier talking about um, Leon. So, you know, just stuff like that. And just, it was just a and massive how fear then, in my head. how did you, did you get help then, was it? You, you yeah, so I'd always gotten help. I'd always, like, I was always under the care of a psychiatrist since I was about 13. Um, I was always in note of air therapy, psych, you know, psychological tests, left, right and centre, yeah. different treatments, CBT, DBT and everything else. And, but you probably um, hadn't wanted at that stage, whereas now you did, is it? Yes, that's what the real turning point was. The whole time I was doing everything to keep everyone else happy. Yeah. Graham, you need to go to rehab okay I'll go even though deep down I did not Graham you need to stop you know causing trouble for yourself you'll make yeah. everything worse yeah. alright I'll stop and I, I just didn't but that was the wake up call I needed to really get the help and how did you fight you the know, temptation then? I really like to ask that question right because I had in just a couple of months previous to that I had um, I had done a therapy called dialectical behaviour therapy DBT so I done that therapy and it was recommended by my psychiatrist. I was resistant, of course, but I done it as always. And I actually, even the fact I went, I learned a lot of skills on that. And these are life skills, um, such as you know mindfulness, uh, personal effectiveness. Yeah, no, I understand all of that. But all these skills that yeah. that we needed. So what happened was I locked myself in my bedroom at this point of of you know setting an intention to be in recovery and alcohol and drug free. Yeah. I was actually nineteen stone as well at that point, Neil. I used to be eleven. Um, and I bloated because of all the heavy yeah. medication I was on yeah. and I locked myself in my bedroom basically and I just sat with myself I gave my mother my phone so there would be no very easily um, I wouldn't be easily access, accessible with temptation I gave my mother my phone and I locked myself in my room Yeah, and I sat down I, I just started to look at myself I really sat with everything and I just observed mindfully because mindfulness is huge on DBT I just observed all these thoughts without actually reacting to them straight away I started to observe, you know, the the, the pains I was getting in my in my body and everything else, and you know, are they, are they withdrawal pains? Um, at the time, I think they were. Yeah, okay. I think. How long did that go on for in that room? That went on for probably about a month, I'd say. What? Um, of me, really? Yeah, not not like not not every single day, but like the experiences that I was having within my body and my mind would change every day. But they would pretty much be, you know, like. Were you locked in the room for the month? I always say that locked in the room not literally um, what I used to say to myself Neil was that I would not leave my bedroom the next day uh, the next morning until I'd done 20 minutes of exercise and I tried to do some form of mindfulness or meditation 
some mornings I would wake up, Neil, and I would be on top of the world. Other mornings I would wake up and I would just be crying, saying, like, why didn't I just die in my sleep? You know, it was a roller coaster. Um, but I stuck it out. And that's something that I'm really, really proud of uh, within myself. Well I'd done, always man. tried something and let go of it or stopped. You know, I'm well done. How long are you? Trying. How long are you clean now and fighting and recovery? Six and a half years. Wow. I, I, I'm not fighting in recovery right now. I think that, you know, I think you are fighting in recovery, and I think all um, people in recovery can relate to this on some level. It's the earliest kind of stages, the first few months, maybe. Yeah, but you're on your guard all the time, right? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. But urges are not as intense. Uh, My ability to uh, use logic over emotion to make decisions is far better. I now respond to, to life instead of react. Like, life is always going to be life. And... You know, my life isn't perfect just because I'm in recovery. None of our lives are perfect, man. I wish we could all see that. That wasn't designed to be perfect. I think you're an incredible man. I wish I had more time. I'm so delighted about an opportunity to hear your life story uh, through the prism of somebody who came out the other side. You're a credit, Graham, to yourself, in fairness to you. Well done. Well done. Uh, Thanks, Neil. I just, you know, it just just had to be done. And I'm very blessed and and grateful to have made all the decisions back then and just to be still here, you know. Yeah, chalk it down. Listen, stay in uh, touch. Don't be a stranger. Call again, will you? Sometime I'll have a little bit more time. Thanks, William. Drill into the next chapter of your life. Take care, pal. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Incredible guy. Well done. All credit due to him. Back after the break, uh, a bit of tomfoolery on the way. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. I left school. In 1987, we had the highest unemployment in Western Europe. And we were secretly delighted. (laughs) You couldn't find a job if you looked for one. (laughs) It was socially acceptable to do nothing. Especially in this town, everybody was doing nothing, you know. But nowadays, people have 14 jobs and 29 mobile phones and no personality and it's just things have changed you know people get it's not you can't be unemployed anymore people think there's something wrong with you everybody has to be doing something at least when you're doing something people know what you're up to (laughs) that's why when you meet somebody so what do you do yourself you have to ask them you have to know if they say Irish are a bitches what the f*** do you do (laughs) they tried tried to bring a law on Grafton Street right against loitering it doesn't sound so bad when you say it like that, when you think about it, that's a law against doing nothing. <laughs> you cannot loiter. Now, for a long time, Dubliners thought it was something to do with cigarettes. <laughs> you can't loiter. <laughs> Who am I supposed to fuck and smoke us all? You big culty gad. And you do, you cause panic and pandemonium when you do nothing. And I thoroughly recommend this. The best place to cause the most amount of panic by doing nothing is in a bank. (laughs) Over the next week, if you've got a couple of hours to spare, walk into a bank. (laughs) And just stand there all day doing nothing. You'll be shot dead by lunchtime. (laughs) What are you doing there? I'm doing nothing. (laughs) Why have you got a balaclava on your head? I've got a drop of tea left in my mouth and I'm trying to keep it warm. (laughs) (laughs) 
joined by phone by the original crazy Navin man himself, a bit of tomfoolery. Tommy, good morning. I'm very disappointed to hear that old material. Oh no, I did it on purpose because I think your voice hadn't broken at that stage. So can you remember the can you remember the gig? Uh, was it one of the ones in Vicker Street? Maybe no, it wasn't. It was in Galway. Well, in Galway, God, three thousand years ago. Oh my God! But nothing's changed, though. It's still all of that comedy still stacks up. The world has gone maybe from bad to worse since then. But how have you been? Uh, I've been, I've been A to Z. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been, uh, I've run the gamut of <laughs> emotions and uh, reactions. And, and reactions and stresses and joy and tribulations and uh, uh, I've, I've run the gamut and yeah. I'm uh, and, and if I had a choice I'd I'd run it again. No, don't be. I'm asking the questions. I mean, do you not go to put your head in the pillow at night and say tomorrow now I'll keep my mouth shut and I'll behave? No, you can't do it. I could do that, but we'd be homeless within a year. So <laughs> I guess um, stand up is a is a strange, you know, when we were all uh, off with COVID and um, I was two years without doing a show and uh, I remember thinking to myself, uh, I kind of, I had lost the grow for that part of my personality. Because yeah. it really is, it's a larger than life, reckless um, energy that you kind of summon and surrender to. And everything in COVID was very sandals and jam, you know, cups of tea. Banana bread. Yeah, it was all easy. And I didn't want to put on my high heels and red lipstick again. <laughs> and I just... Um, and it took me a little while to get into it. Uh, I would say it took me... You came me, back with a bang, pal. <laughs> I, well, 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 it took me a while, though. And, but I remember making a phone call to my agent in England. And uh, I'd, been, I'd been taken off a tour... Um, so, say COVID crashed sometime, I think it was March 2019 or something. I was actually halfway through an English tour at the time. Um, and then two years later, restrictions are being lifted. And my agent says, uh, we can finish that English tour now. And I says, I don't think that that, that Tommy Tiernan, I think he's, he has moved on. Go away. I think he might be living in America now, but he's certainly not available at this address. So let's cancel the tour. And uh, I'm not going to do stand-up anymore. What? That was that was not two bad. years ago, and then my agent says, "Okay, that's that's a that's that's lovely, Tommy, uh, but you're going to owe the promoter forty grand." <laughs> and I says, "Well, <laughs> let me <laughs> let me let me see what I can do." And, yeah. I, and I found that once I started doing stand-up again, it took me, it took about six weeks. Um, but that old kind of flamboyance, uh, that old larger than lifeness, that old um, delight in being in front of a crowd all came back and I've been kind of flown with that. You have, yeah. Ever since. You're, so, you're standing uh, up on the stage saying, no rules, no PC, we will offend, get in line to be offended, but don't bring this outside the building because it's not the real world kind of Tommy Tiernan, isn't it? I don't think it's as stark as that, really. I, I, They're I, your words, incidentally, not mine. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. You see I'm what happened to me is where, I went into a rabbit hole of, of YouTube Tommy foolery last night. All right. Um, and I, I couldn't get out of it. Two hours later, I was still trying to drag myself out of it. Um, well, I've been trying to drag myself out of myself for <laughs> 53 years and it hasn't worked. Um, no, the, the main law, really, is entertainment. That's first and foremost, that's rule number one. 
that people come in and you do your level best to give them an an unusual, a strange, an uplifting, a funny and dramatic night out. Whatever happens after that is subject to change. But that's the initial instinct. That has to be the law. Um, and that's the kind of, that's the star that I navigate by. But does your now, riskiness to, not worry you, though? Because there were consequences of, of that recently. Like it of just, course the riskiness worries me, but I'm not alone in this profession. There are, uh, first of all, not a lot of people do stand-up comedy. Uh, but worldwide, there are, maybe there's a thousand stand-up comedians in the world, maybe a bit more. Um, so the art form that I work with is established and it is risky and it is um, liable to offend from time to time. Mm. And is that um, okay to, to, to have jokes at particular I, people? I, I, um, all jokes are at particular people. Mm. Every joke, is, it's either at yourself or it's at somebody out there in the world. Um, you never set out to offend. Never. What you do, you, you set out, it's kind of like you have a choice. I, I feel as if I have a choice. I can um, uh, drive the bus 25 miles faster than, uh, <laughs> than the legal speed limit. Yeah. I can disengage the brakes and I can make sure that the steering wheel isn't working right. Or I can drive 10 miles below the speed limit, make sure everybody has a seatbelt and is wearing a helmet and that uh, we're, that's an electric bus and, and all that. I prefer the first way. Yeah, yeah. I prefer to take my chances and, you know, if and apologise afterwards. That's Sorry. the point. The apology did follow the taxi driver gag. You, you, you apologised because you regretted it. Um, I, look, uh, um, I don't... I, any, I'm very slow to mention anything in particular okay. uh, because okay. I, I to me it's like trying to solve a crossword puzzle will I say the right thing, will I say the That's wrong fine. thing That's all, I, all I can say about it is that I've kept going uh, and I've no intention to stop yeah, yeah. Uh, so, because it's not as if if you look at yourself, it's not selective it's, it's everyone and everything that you observe, you know, it's not as if you have one particular path it's, you know, it's, it's like what was you just said? You know, it was a very good line. Said you're proud to be Irish. The rain, the drink, the Jesus, and the psychiatric illness. Yeah, it's it's the all of us, isn't it? It is, but I don't have any specific targets. So, but every now and again, someone will be run over. Um, so uh, that, that's the nature of the genre. So, yeah. and if I if I saw myself in isolation, sometimes um, it's you'd be hard on yourself, but. It, the thing is to realise that, you know, like I said earlier on, is I, this is a genre. This is a particular type of work that people enjoy. Now, it's, we, we've had storytellers going way back. Like, I spent a couple of nights out on the Blaskets there last year, the year before, and I sat outside Tommaso Crohan's cottage, and I stayed the night where Peg Sayers grew up. We have had the tradition of people telling stories as long as there have been people yeah. on this island. Yeah. It's slightly changed now. Stand-up is different. Stand-up doesn't have the same kind of folk element to it. Um, but the idea of going into a room and listening to somebody talk is part of who we are. Is it a dying breed of the stand-up because so. of the pushback, no? I don't think so. No. I, you know, um, 
I think it's still as strong as ever. I, I have, haven't, I've never, this tour that I'm on right now, which started in January of last year, has been the most successful tour that I've ever done. Yeah, there from are, Cork to Castleblaney to Kilkenny to New York. Everybody. You're all selling them all. You, you're going to the States in May, aren't you? I'm going to, I'm going to but just in terms of, of, say, stand-up in Ireland, people think, oh, is it, is it the end of the genre? You look at the fabulous kind of work and ticket sales that Joanne McNally is doing. You look at the thousands and thousands of people who go to the Ivy Gardens mm. uh, for the comedy every year. You look at the, a club like City Limits in mm. Coburg Street that's been going for... She's had no thirty five, forty years easily, or something like that. Easily, yeah. yeah. So do you know what I mean? It's it's it is it's a relentless art form. Unless I am going over to the States. Um, no, I'm just on, wondering on whether the they will frighten stand up comedians off the stage, you know. The you know, the the woke, well, I tell woke you, the wokeness of the world, I suppose. America is full of of course America has uh, a conservative streak running through its culture. But some of the American stand ups are People think I'm wild. Yeah, they're brutal, yeah. I, I mean, they're just... Uh, there's no holes barred at all. Yeah. At least I have some sense of charm. <laughs> you know, at least I have kind of a, a way with words that people might just let the... Let, enjoy. Well, it's worth some it's, them, it's, some it's, of it's, some it's, of the Americans. Some of the Americans, they have no grace at all. It seems to be working because uh, one gig sold out at the marquee, second one will sell, will sell out. Um, but the... Question, of course, that everybody was wondering recently is whether or not you threw your hat in the ring for the Late Late Show. I, I, well, if I, 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 where's the ring? Where is the, show me the ring and I'll have, I'll have the hat in the hand. Does that mean yes, you do it? I don't know. It's, um, it's, if I didn't have my own chat show, it would probably be more tempting. But I have a chat show uh, the following night, which uh, is as watched as by as many people as the late late that I get to design. Yeah. Now originally, Gabo designed his chat show, so that the late late show kind of evolved with Gabo, and he was able to push it left and push it right and choose the topics he wanted to cover. I'm not sure the next host of the late late has the same freedom, mm. but I. Uh, the show that I do the following night at the same time, uh, it has a lot of elements that I I I like. So I, the big thing for us, all of us growing up, was not knowing who was going to be on the late late. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now the difference back then was you could sit back and Orson Welles could walk on. That's true. Or Eamon awesome. Kelly, yeah. the actor from Kerry, could walk on. Yeah. You know, or. Um, Jack O'Shea could walk on. A serious surprise element to it. You yeah. know, you, you yeah. could have Matt Busby sitting beside Peter Sellers. Yeah, yeah. And people would just, um, we thrived in that. And then you'd also have Gayburn putting a condom on a banana. That's right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That's right. Um, Anything so, was possible in those simpler days. But if, totally. not, but if not you, who then? Who do you think should get the gig? Shane McGowan, I think. <laughs> I didn't expect a straight answer, to be quite honest with you. And do you have a, do you have a dream guest that you haven't managed to nail down yet? Uh, well, see, I, I I have no i I always sus- suspected that certain people would come on. Oh, I know, I, I know, had, the, I know the concept of the show. But if you were yeah. able to, well, no, hello, let me, so so I always thought at some stage that Bob Geldof would come on because you know it's a small country, and, and who are you going to? So I always thought he'd come on. 
uh, I always suspected that Roy Keane would come on. I always I had you a do. feeling yeah. somewhere in my uh, imagination that Roy would walk out one day. Um, they, they'd be the two, really, that... Uh, I can't think of anybody yeah. that I'd... Um, maybe I'd like to have a chat with Pat McCabe, you know, the author from yeah. Monaghan. Yeah. Um, uh, I can't really think of anybody, but they, they don't ask me. Oh, Geldof, Geldof's a good answer. What about Billy Connolly, though? Because he he claimed uh-huh. that you, in his book, you're one of his top three favourite comedians in the world. Yeah. The big yin. There's a thing I'd recommend for people. Um, so, Billy's last live show uh, is called uh, High Horse. And I don't know what platforms it's available on. But you can tell by looking at him that he has slowed down a little bit and... Um, With the Parkinson's, yeah. 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 So it's a lot more of a kind of a gentle performance than we're used to seeing from him. And it's the best that I've ever seen him. Um, so I'd recommend that to people if they're looking for a good hour-long dose of Billy Connolly storytelling is um, a thing called... High horse, yeah, yeah, and I have. There's a possibility of something happening in America um, that I'm uh, excited by, um, which is that I have the same promoter in America that Billy Connolly had, and there's a. Um, I use a, a lapel mic that clips on to the front of whatever shirt I'm wearing and then is attached by wire to a battery pack which then sends a signal to some other sort of battery pack <laughs> off stage and goes through the speakers. Yeah. Now, the frequencies they use in America are different from the frequencies they use in Ireland. So, I'm not able to take the one that I usually work with <laughs> to America. And I was talking to my, my promoter yesterday and he said to me, you can use... crazy crazy person now it's not off the charts the idea of standing on stage with Billy Connolly's microphone I mean to get any any more hair raising than that that's the so that's that's um, that's that's me. That's that's yeah. signed, sealed, delivered. Yeah. That's me. Uh, every possible You've achieved it. <laughs> that you may have hoped for in stand-up comedy is realised when yeah. you're wearing the same lapel mic. In a country that you is. recently said you were finished with, weren't going back anymore. Ah, the dollar tempted you back again, though. Do you reckon, the dollar? Are you kidding me? <laughs> the dollar. <laughs> but I reckon with America is that it's so. It's it's still exciting, but for all the it used to be exciting because it was a, a positive place. Yeah. Now it's exciting because there's it's it's tumultuous. <laughs> uh, it's dangerous. So, how would you um, describe? So how would you describe Cork? Because just very finally, Cork is very fond. You have a fond place in your heart for because well, yeah. some of the first gigs were in, in city limits. So it's special to be back in Cork, isn't it? The the uh, I always thought that uh, Cork was like a Republican nun. <laughs> How does that work? Kind of uh, pious, obedient, <laughs> respectful, but wild at the same time. <laughs> we can't wait to see you back in the Rebel County in the not too distant future. I know that there are two gigs, the 8th and the 15th. I believe one of them has been sold out. I have some tickets from the other one. Um, 
pair of tickets to give away for the show on the 15th of June. So great location, the marquee, isn't it? You really enjoy it when you it's play. The best. Um, it's, it's such a. Uh, I think that it's a privilege for the city to have it and to have access to the quality of act and the quality of venue that passes through. Not many other cities have it. Uh, there isn't another city in Ireland who has something like that for the summer. So Long may it continue. I take advantage of it, and I'm sure Cork people do, and Cork people in Munster do. You know, yeah. so but it's wonderful. And you too. And the, and the TV show will come back, of course. For they say it'll be renewed for several more seasons. Yeah, uh, D- yeah. Derry Girls as well, and and the and the podcast. It was look at the podcast numbers there recently. I mean, that that's insane. The numbers you were doing in the podcast, twenty well, million downloads. Yeah, we were doing about 200,000 people a week. We've had to stop now for a while because Hector's gone to Papua New Guinea. Well, that'll put a clapper on it for a while, yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know if you heard the story over the weekend. Uh, Larita, as you know, is related to Joe Biden. And she, <laughs> it was, she was offered a lift from Dublin to knock on Air Force One and she turned it down because she had a hair appointment in Swinford. <laughs> I love it. I love that curve for that reason alone. Anyway, listen, get on with it and we'll see you when you hit Side in the month of June. All right, Tommy? Neil, pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having you me again. You too, as always. God Take bless. Bye-bye. Cheers, my man. Tommy Tiernan, the one and only. Lines are open. We have tickets to give away uh, for the Tommy Tiernan gig on June 15th. Now, these gigs will sell out, so I wouldn't hang around thinking about going. Get them done. Get them booked and get your ass on the seat. Our lines will stay open for that and all other business. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.